This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back, everyone, to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And today we are covering one of the biggest games, at least within the 2000s, one of the most legendary games within Halo itself, Halo 3. Oh, yeah. Now, we've been preparing for this for, what, two or three months like we did with Halo 2, if not longer? I'd say so. I I know we've been putting a lot into this, as opposed to things like the books and comics and TV shows, things like that, that we'll be covering and have covered. Mm -hmm. The games are the center point of the studio. Games are the center point of the podcast. So we really want to deep dive into what it took to create it, who was involved, and just so many more minute details we've been able to research. We've been able to pull from some sources. Yeah. And just give you guys a really cool overall episode related to the game itself. Yeah, well, we even had one or two people chime in in Discord and tell me things that I didn't even know that we've thrown in here that we'll, we'll talk about. And honestly, I'm, I'm more excited about doing this episode and the research we did for this one than we were for Halo 2. And I think we started research for Halo 3 actually shortly after we did for Halo 2 because I think the impact that it had at the time, you know, the second people were seeing trailers for it in 2006, it really was a cultural phenomenon. Like, even if you didn't care about Halo, you cared about Halo 3. Well, they put so much into marketing that year, too, which we'll, uh-huh. t- we'll touch on, and had professional, really professional ads put out that were almost mini-movies, mm-hmm. in a way, that really pushed an impact. And to push an impact on who Chief was mm-hmm. and what really drew people into the universe itself, because this is where we're now defending Earth. Yeah, it's 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 really kind of giving us what Halo 2 was promising which was more of seeing what's happening on earth and and as i said it was hard not to pay attention with the marketing and the hype not only because everyone had at least three or four friends that were psyched about it and making you watch the trailers and i'm really thinking that we're going to kind of get this kind of hype whenever it comes this time next year with infinite i really think so yeah because that's the hope because you've had what five or six years basically of an audience building Mm -hmm. up to this point so everyone you've you've kind of sunk your claws into from halo one the microsoft claws the micro claws as some might say or tiny santa (laughs) and and you have them continue on through halo 2 where you pull in new Mm. fans and they continue on to three where people who grew up with it whether they were in college high school grade school are now kind of up to the next thing and can either afford it or pulling more people into it. So it's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before we go any further, we're going to cover the updates that's been going on within the past two weeks within Halo itself. And I think the biggest one that everyone's been kind of freaking out about, but I don't really think they should, is that 343 lost Infinite's creative director. Mm -hmm. And I I know a lot of people were thinking this is going to mean, you know, whatever direction that the game is going to be, whatever height it's at right now, is going to kind of lower. But at the end of the day, like, you have to realize that this game has hundreds of hands in there there's hundreds of cooks in the kitchen right now yeah it's one person's direction like he it's not the 
end all be all. Like he's not going to say this is what we're doing. It's a lot of ideas going to him, giving suggestions or his write off or, you know, his seal of approval. You have this with a lot of different formats of media, whether it be a movie mm-hmm. and you lose either a producer or director or things like that because of either creative differences or ideas just aren't meshing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same thing, I think, just happened within the day or two that over at BioWare, Dragon Age 4 just lost their creative director. Yeah. But in a note, he said he's leaving for personal projects, and he says the game is on to go. So is it something to freak out about? Not necessarily. I mean, it is tough news to get when they're trying to hype it up and we're coming off of four or five and infinite as a lot of people are saying it's like the third strike yeah you know if they don't hit it on this they're out yes i I don't think it's infinite is not one person's vision and it and it won't be so i think we're fine you got to look at it even as like an agency like if a marketing agency loses a creative director it's it's not like this guy isn't running the agency. His vision isn't going across the whole thing. So don't lose hope. This this really isn't going to change much for the game, especially if they're this far into development. Like, it's fine. It'll be fine. Uh, I think another one of our big portions of news is Ninja leaving Twitch and coming to Mixer. For those of you who are not familiar with it, Mixer is Microsoft's platform for streaming. Mm-hmm. So it's Twitch under Microsoft, basically. It's huge news because, one, you're having Twitch's number one streamer, Switch, you know, jumping ship for X amount of dollars. Um, lots. Lots. Let's go with Seven, lots. eight figures. And bringing people to that platform. Ninja was an OG Halo player mm-hmm. um, who obviously, with most streamers, you shift your games to your audience base. But that's probably the hope. We saw in some Twitter photos that he's had some meetings with 343. Yeah, he was at 343 recently. And so that's... More than likely, the shift that we're seeing is is pushing for that marketing mm-hmm. of Infinite. Yeah, abso- absolutely. It's, it's what it is. I mean, if, if anyone thinks otherwise, that's what they're doing. They spent a huge marketing budget and it, mm-hmm. it, towards that. And we'll see what's to come. I know there's love and hate on both sides for Ninja, yeah. whether it's garnered or not. I see it as a positive, even if I hated the streamer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, one, you're bringing people to Mixer, which is great for Microsoft's brand, but, two, you're bringing people to Halo Infinite. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we'll we'll see how that goes. I think kind of what we talked about with the marketing of Halo 3, mm-hmm. here's the face of streaming who's now going to be saying, hey, play this game. Check out, check out my Halo Infinite stream. And we're in the age of... I mean, if any of you watch streams or have seen any stuff like that, you know that streaming is one of the number one launch marketing efforts. I mean, look at Apex Legends. Mm-hmm. There was, it was the game was announced the same day it was released. Had no marketing except for getting people like Ninja, Shroud, you know, all your kind of top streamers, and paying them X amount to play this game because. Mm-hmm. I mean, that put it ahead of Fortnite. That put it ahead of everything for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, up until the devs, you know, kind of neglected everything. But that's, that's you know, a different story. But Different so, episode. Yeah, that just shows you that, I mean, marketing, this is the new age of marketing for gaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it, it works well, as we've seen. Some other news, and I think this is kind of cool, we all were really excited about this, is that there's kind of a crossover between Gears of War and Halo. Mm-hmm. So we have Cat and Emil coming over to the uh, Forge, and I think it's the Escape Mode. In Gears of War, and you have these uh, skins that you can use. And there, there's even a little bit of lore behind it on the cannon fodder. Go check that out on uh, Halo Waypoint. But I think it's really, really cool. And I think people are hoping that we're going to see the same with Infinite. Mm-hmm. We're going to see some gear skins kind of come over for maybe that hopeful return of Firefight. You never know, though. Which would be cool. I mean, it, it's smart on Microsoft's 
terms to kind of cross their IPs now mm-hmm. in a way that these two games are probably the closest that you can get because you're not like, well, I guess Forza did something with Lego. The, but, well, and and uh, the Warthog. In the Warthog, and you, mm-hmm. you had those things with that. The Halo and Gears kind of mix with Minecraft. So they're trying mm-hmm. to like make sense to push their IPs all over and try and do that Nintendo you know, that Nintendo effect of just basically yeah, throw yeah. everyone to everyone else's game. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, people are okay with that. I also like, it, it's just, it's seeing them as, you know, f- just high def. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. And so on to kind of some more sadder news. Uh, the Halo app for Windows 10 is being shut down. There's so much going on with Infinite and M- MCC coming to PC and Reach coming to Xbox or the, the Xbox MCC, that some support is being shut down for some other projects, one of those being the Halo app for Windows 10, and support is being shut down for Halo Wars 2, mm-hmm. which I know I've actually seen a lot of people going through some some uh, forums and whatnot. A lot of people are actually pretty upset by this, and I didn't realize because I haven't really looked that far into like the multiplayer uh, community within Halo Wars 2, or I didn't even know it was received as well as it was. And I think... That boils down to when you have a more niche community mm-hmm. like that, it's dedicated fans. Yeah. And it's it's kind of the StarCrafters of Halo who want to play that game, who understand it, who play the multiplayer, who, you know, need those balance and updates for it. And when you don't have those things, obviously the game starts to suffer and, and mm-hmm. your player base starts to dwindle and you may just kind of have your core group that stays. Mm-hmm. So does it suck? Yes. Will those resources be allocated elsewhere for the betterment of the community? Yeah. Maybe. That's the hope. And it's not even ruled out that it's done entirely. But as of right now, like, all hands on deck when it comes to MCC and PC, and we have that kind of delay with Reach coming to Xbox One. Mm-hmm. So really, you know, at the end of the day, look at it. As it, it could be revisited again. I, I, pro- I don't think so personally, but that doesn't mean that it's not impossible. Precisely. So let's move on now to the episode at hand, the topic that we have been anxious to do for months now, Halo 3. Halo 3 is the final game in the first sci-fi military first-person shooter trilogy from game developer Bungie Studios. It was released in the U.S. September 25th, 2007, in the U.K. September 26th, 2007, and in Japan September 27th, 2007. Halo 3 has been described as one of the greatest games of all time in the Halo franchise to date. And I can agree with that. It is. It's it's one where they took both from CE and 2 mm-hmm. and pretty much took the best and some of my favorite things from both of them and brought it into a game that not only pushed the story and pushed the campaign, but really, really focused on multiplayer. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. And as as we talked about before, with the hype and everyone wanting to finish this fight, I think it, it everyone needed it. I think if that game would have been delayed for another two hours, there would have been riots. Not literally, but I mean, it just to the fact that people wanted that game so bad, they needed that game. Yeah, those two hours would have really made, would have really made a difference. <laughs> it was, it was uh, figurative. To start this off, uh, I want to take it back just a little bit. I know we just pushed you in. We're going to mm-hmm. take you back just a little bit. I want to start off, and uh, we're, we're pumping the brakes. Is that what we're going to Pumping the brakes a little bit. Pumping the brakes. Choo-choo. Pull that brake. Yep. We're going to talk about the Xbox 360, because this is the first Halo title on the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that came out in 2005, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and initially, you'll learn a little bit later, it was planned to be for the 360 launch title, and then everyone was just like, that's a terrible idea. Let's not do that. Well, when you, yeah, when you put a time gate on something, 
and people are like, no, we need more time. You're like, no, we're pushing out there. It mm-hmm. obviously suffers. Yeah. And so, yeah, so the Halo, so Halo 3 would be the first game in the franchise to be on the 360, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, second generation of Xbox, you know, because you go from Xbox to 360, you know, because the obvious trend is going from Xbox to Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, after that, you know, in the future, Xbox One. Yeah. So you go, no number, 360, one. I get what they're going for. You know, it's like all in one box, 360. That's what they're going for. And so it was released November 22nd, 2005, and has sold to date over 80 million units worldwide. I'd say that's impressive. It is. It, it is one of the best-selling consoles of all time. Mm-hmm. In modern days, I believe, in modern consoles, let's say PlayStation 2 and above, mm-hmm. PlayStation 2 is, a, is above that, but the 360 is doing super well along with actually the Switch now. Yeah. What are some things that really stood out for the Xbox 360 that set it apart from the Xbox? It's, you know, we've had five or six or seven years to differentiate themselves. So, like, what's new? Well, you're now in the age of not really needing memory cards. Mm-hmm. And you're in the age of actually having to have hard drive space. Games are getting bigger with Xbox Live and things like that. You're soon to get downloadable games mm-hmm. and the ar- arcade. So you have hard drives that can be swapped out. So it's actually detachable uh, exterior hard drive. If you guys remember those, kind of the bricky hard drive, mm-hmm. I think on the left side, you can actually swap those out. And they were 20, 60, 120, and 250 gig. So, and that still seems tiny to today's comparison. Yeah, well, even, you know, like, you know, later on, you got up to 500 gigabytes. Yeah, which, like the Model S. Which now, like, I for my one, I just picked up a two terabyte hard drive. Yeah. Uh, and even then, like, you can get bigger. So it's like crazy things, like, that's nothing. Oh, exactly. You have upgrades all around because you're going from a 40p system up to a 1080 system with this. Uh, 720 to start because it comes with your composite cables, that red, green, blue, yep. and then you have your audio. And then eventually as more you know, HD TVs at the time would come in, you had that HDMI mm-hmm. slot that people don't understand um, <laughs> to, to eventually give you that 1080i, 1080p resolution going on Mm -hmm. for you. Yeah, well, that was a crazy thing for me is whenever I got my 360 and I, like, someone gave me an HDMI cable. I was like, what am I going to do with this? Because I also got my first flat screen and they were like, oh, you can use that. I I didn't know. So I was like, holy shit, that's amazing. So, like, these improvements even with the graphics and then, you know, these graphics, depending on what kind of cable you have or what kind of TV you have, can look even more spectacular. Yeah, that made a change. If if you weren't into, you know, the, like the AV stuff of it and didn't understand mm-hmm. it, because at the time it was just, it produced a picture. Yeah. And so this is kind of the age where we're really seeing that change in resolution that can be put onto a disc and like the upgrade downgrade of it. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my favorite things to come out of the 360 is hands down the best gaming controller of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. To this day, I occasionally hold like a PlayStation controller, and it's just odd because of the joystick placement and whatnot. And how many companies have imitated that now? I know Nintendo has their own version. I think even PlayStation, or at least you know, Mad Cats has one for PlayStation. You can't really escape it. Like that, that became the new standard. Yeah, the, the, it was for me the perfect ergonomic feel because you had the OG Xbox controller, that mm-hmm. big fat one that was one of the dumbest things that's ever come out, <laughs> and then they improved it with like the new updated controller for it and then mm-hmm. with the 360 they perfected it yeah. i mean right now for pc gaming if i need to use a controller i still have my original white corded mm-hmm. xbox 360 controller That's for it probably like a little tan or gray now and the the Sticks thumb pads are, are worn down much. yeah yeah but still use it Every, everyone's got one of those controllers mm-hmm. the other thing that pushed later in the life of the 360 uh was the connect mm-hmm 
So you had the Kinect and PlayStation had the Move. And it was really the first time outside of the Wii, which had motion control through the, the joystick mm-hmm. and through the nunchuck compatibility of it, was the Kinect, which yeah. didn't require a controller. Yep. It used an AR camera to kind of position you in the space you were in. Yeah. Um, and you could see it on various games when it's kind mm-hmm. of tracking these white, like, pixely shape of you. Yeah. That performed okay. It I, was interesting. I will say, that Connect, my buddy got it, was fun for, like, a week. Yeah. It, it, was, it was definitely, like, Microsoft's answer to the Wii. Mm-hmm. It was just basically like, well, they're doing this. Let's try this too. And it's the first stepping stones to the VR and AR that we're having of today. Mm-hmm. So it, it needed to be done. But I mean, there were so many games that had gimmicks in it that was like, you could talk to the Connect. You mm-hmm. could do this. We saw that with uh, the anniversary of Combat Evolved. Mm-hmm. You had all those aspects of it, and mm-hmm. and it did all right. All right, I think is a pretty good term. It did, and like they tried to push it for the one when it came out, and it's still a gimmicky thing. There were games that worked well with it. There mm-hmm. were games that I remember. There was this uh, fighting game that came out with it. That was kind of like a street brawler. It was so dumb. It did not track you. You had to punch like the right speed to pick mm-hmm. you up, even though like you'd think you'd punch it in like a normal clip that you'd punch at. Yeah. No, you had to kind of slow it down, but it couldn't be too slow. So, <laughs> I digress. Touch, touch and go. Yeah, but not literally. Yeah, so we also had a handful of versions of this come out. We had the standard, we had the slim, and we had the S. The the uh, slim was my first one, so I kind of hold that near and dear to my heart. I skipped that one. You skipped. I, I had an OG one until I got the Red Ring of Death, mm-hmm. and then I ended up going with the S, like the the black version of it. Yeah, the, the that was kind of like the more economic one. Mm-hmm. It's it's the system where they figured out all the bugs pretty much. They stripped mm-hmm. out what's not needed put in what they had to, beefed up the hard drive, things like that. Yeah. So, you know, with that being said, that was give you a little bit of a buffer as to what we would expect whenever we put Halo 3 in your nice white or maybe black elite Xbox 360 for the first time. And as we start our talks on the befores, afters, and what's going on with Halo 3, we want to give a huge shout out to a couple former Bungie employees Mm -hmm. who we were able to talk to and get a lot of this info that, for us, we couldn't find anywhere. Yeah, so shout out to Dan Miller and Eric Arroyo. Yeah, so so Dan was an artist on Halo 3, Mm -hmm. and then Eric Arroyo was the lead artist who worked on Halo 1, 2, and 3, Mm -hmm. and who would contribute a huge amount to the game that you wouldn't even know. Yeah. He, he, to, he told us a lot of things that we didn't even know. Yeah, and it's fantastic. Uh, I mean, go check him out. It's awesome. I mean, he's the man behind Master Chief. He's the mm-hmm. man behind Cortana, the Marines. Anything that you're seeing, he mm-hmm. pretty much took care of. Well, something interesting that he told us, and I've tried to do some research on it and I can't find anything, is he, he was talking to us about the Warthog. And he said, every barcode I put on there has a meaning. So I went to look into this, and there's there's no article or anything that says... You know, these are the meanings behind the barcodes on the Warthog. So we're going to look into that here very soon because I'm very curious as to, like, what they mean. And I I don't want to just outright ask him. I want to discover this. Well, exactly, because if it hasn't been discovered yet and we're getting these details, I'm excited about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're putting it on Jesse's checklist. If you haven't known before, he's also translating everything that was an uprising. Yep. So we're just adding that to his checklist. Maybe. We will. <laughs> and these these other cool details that we're going to really explore through this telling of what happened, you know, post Halo 2 into Halo mm-hmm. 3, you know, right from the mouths of the people who've worked on it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about Bungie after Halo 2. 
The morale at Bungie Studios was at an all-time low, as stated in the Halo 2 episode. Some were unsure if Bungie could stay together much longer. Though, Bungie truly felt that they owed it to their fans to give them the best product ever, and thus they set their sights on Halo 3, hoping to make it the last Halo game and move on to something else. The concept of Halo 3 was around actually during Halo 2's development, Mm -hmm. because there was a point in time they're like, well, we gotta, we have to do this cliffhanger, so clearly we're going to have to. So it started conceptualizing around then. And even after the success of Halo 2, Microsoft was more than willing to, quote, throw buckets of money at Bungie for Halo 3. Shortly after the release of Halo 2, Jason Jones disappeared after it shipped. He told Martin O'Donnell that Halo 2 had almost driven him to the point of suicide, and he took off. He wasn't sure at that point if he ever wanted to develop another video game. Yeah, because it took so much out of him, because like we talked about, like you guys can see in different vids and stuff about it, it was such a cluster trying to get that game shipped, get it out. Mm -hmm. It was unfinished. You know, it was a product that, I mean, a lot of people admitted to, like, it wasn't done. No, we, it, we just had to run around like you know, like chickens with their head off, like mm-hmm. trying to get this out for Microsoft. Yeah, it was sixty percent done mm-hmm. it, at most. You know, though during Halo 3's development, Jason would return to the studio and start working on his new project, Destiny. And with Jones leaving, it was unclear who would take the lead on Halo Three. Though Jason told Max Hoberman, who was the lead multiplayer designer, mm-hmm. that him and the studio manager Pete Parsons should take the lead. Yeah, though this this wouldn't be the case. Uh, Hoberman stating that this is the first time he would see politics at Bungie, and everyone was still kind of unclear who the leader should be. They were having these meetings of like, we need kind of a head for this because people were kind of worried that without Jason there, like, how are we going to do Halo? Even though like Halo, kind of the concepts and ideas are coming from one guy, but it's still, as we said earlier, a lot of a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Well, like, and, and with our with our interview with Eric, I mean, he even mm-hmm. talked about just what the politics were like there mm-hmm. and that no one really took lead and it was just kind of bouncing around the studio mm-hmm. and it was it was just kind of a mess leading yeah. up to this. Yeah, and it, it finally did come together eventually, but it was just kind of like, it's kind of the equivalent of how I would say like you stat, you just take a box of Legos and you throw all the pieces on the ground and you really hope that some pieces kind of come together you don't really have the instructions, but you still kind of make something and then you go off from there. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what happened. But a lot of veteran employees at Bungie were ready to move on from Halo. They, they were sick of it because it was originally supposed to be one game. Then it was like, OK, two and we're done. They also felt that, you know, as I said, without Jones, like, how are we going to do another Halo game? Now, uh, Martin O'Donnell said that the start of Halo 3 was clumsy since they had no clear direction or no clear leader. It didn't help that Bungie, after two games, was still not easy to work with when it came to Microsoft asking questions or trying to help. Bungie was also upset with what little money they had received from Halo 2, and, and they wanted to negotiate with Microsoft about more profit share. Because after the success of Halo 2, Martin O'Donnell said that they kind of got their profit share check from Microsoft, and Bungie was kind of pissed about it because... They said, you know, for that game being the biggest game of all time, then it was pretty low. Well, and the thing was, too, is that after Halo 1, after this huge success of it, Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just given basically an unlimited budget to do, too. Yeah. They just said, you just have this time. Yeah, you said this time, do it. And and so even within that chaos and, you know, given a a somewhat half-delivered game... They still put it out, but like you said, they didn't receive the money back in their own pockets. Yeah, like after the initial, like, what the salary was making, like, as a whole for the studio, 
that profit share was just too low for their standards. I I tried to look up the the number. I couldn't find it, but you know, for for I'm assuming they kind of wanted more compensation for just the amount of shit they went to, through for the two or three years making that game. And like you said, though, but coming out with also one of the best-selling games of all time, mm-hmm. and at that time it was. Yeah, and and it made the Xbox. You know, you know, both of those made the Xbox. They made Xbox Live. Like they should have gotten their dues for sure. Precisely. Now this eventually led to Bungie deciding that they wanted more control of their own studio again. In fact, they just they wanted Bungie back. They they no longer wanted to be owned by Microsoft. They just wanted to do their own thing. So they they approached Microsoft and they said, "Listen, we'll give you Halo 3, give us our freedom." Mm-hmm. Like that's it. This kind of actually led though to Microsoft saying, "Okay, listen, we will give you enough money so you put out 3 but you also have to put out this two more games, one of them being Halo 4 and one of them being the unnamed Peter Jackson game, uh, which we're going to talk about that a little more within this episode. But we will have a whole episode dedicated to canceled games and projects where mm-hmm. we'll really dive into that. But that kind of going on minorly affected some things. But overall, it, it wasn't the biggest issue. Now, even by the end of all these talks and as they were getting ready to do Halo 3, just want to put it out there. Still no clear leader. Still no one person that was making all the, 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 the calls for this game. So let's move on now to developing Halo 3. Yeah, so Halo 3 went through a full year of pre-production and concepts before development even started. And during pre-pro... Joe Staten spent time on an extended sabbatical, eventually working on Halo 3 outside of the office due to an argument he had with another unnamed employee. He would eventually start acting as the franchise guy for Halo, being a part of the Halo MMO, Halo Wars, and the movie projects they had working on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that MMO and Wars were being worked on kind of the same time, along with the Halo movie and the the Peter Jackson game. But again, that will be a whole very fun episode. Yeah, because at, at this point, uh, Bungie was growing exponentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, from, you know, a couple kind of frat guys on mm-hmm. CE uh, to a number more employees to, I, I think we were talking with the Rayo, it's like 500-something. Yeah, I think three at the time, but, you know, it just got bigger and bigger. Yeah, it just kept growing. And even more importantly, Halo was getting bigger. So, you know, they're looking to Ensemble Studios and Peter Jackson, uh, Wing Interactive to come in and say, let's be a part of this. Mm -hmm. Or more so Microsoft saying, be a part of this. Yes. Yeah, so with Joe busy with other projects at the time, a writing committee was brought in on Halo 3's story. Though at first, Bungie leads and board members loved the first draft that these guys presented them. Martin O'Donnell actually hated it, claiming that it left out several Im, uh, important side characters. And it was actually Martin O'Donnell's idea to have Lord Hood come back along with Miranda Keys, but to also have Miranda killed and then Sergeant Avery Johnson killed by 343 Guilty Spark. And I, I, this is awesome because he got this idea from watching Serenity, which have you ever seen Serenity? I have not. Great movie. It's the only thing I've seen within the, the, the Firefly universe Mm -hmm. but i remember watching that with my dad i knew nothing of firefly and i loved it so you know with these kind of ideas that he got he went to each member of the writing team and told them his ideas like okay listen this is what we should do you know instead of kind of what you guys have like let's do this and so after all of them you know loved his idea they were officially brought on to write halo 3 and even that joe staten was also a part of halo 3 about halfway through the development though he wasn't the lead writer anymore or you know the the cinematic director Mm -hmm. he still had his hand in editing some of the scripts and everything that was going on but overall 
it was it was out of his hands. This would lead to Bungie working with Hollywood screenwriter Peter O'Brien. O'Donnell also helped write dialogue for the game too. So we have the the guy who's not only making these legendary soundtracks, but he came in and he's he's mentioned it multiple times that he's very proud of being able to work on the dialogue. Well, and yeah, being able to work on this for him, it was such a dedicated project. Mm-hmm. Like he had to do it, you know, his way going with it. And that allowed him to branch off and be so much more integral into the whole workings of Halo itself. Like it was, yeah. it was his lifeblood at that time. Yeah. And so Staten was glad to see that Halo 3 would end how Halo 2 is originally supposed to end because they had written those endings for it and nothing really culminated. So they had mm-hmm. to kind of just throw that cliffhanger into it to yeah. kind of lead it out. Yeah, because if you haven't listened to our Halo 2 episode, which you should, basically Halo 3, for the most part, ended how Halo 2 was going to end. Yeah. They really didn't change that much if you look at like a broad stroke of how the story was supposed to end. Yeah, and one of the biggest things, though, and I know Staten fought with this, was that still upset that Johnson was killed. Mm-hmm. He, he hated it. Yeah, because you have such like an integral character that I would say, I mean, died in a heroic way, Mm -hmm. but still such a cool character that did help drive Mm -hmm. the rest of the story. Not even in the games, but in the books, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he he was also glad to see that like Halo 3 really had nothing to do with diving into who the chief was like we had Halo Combat Evolved and Halo 2 and all these books to learn more about chief like. Doesn't matter about that anymore. It's now about the story of the game itself, and he's glad. Yeah, and and it's about such a cool linear, in a way, story mm-hmm. that has so many roundabouts about basically trying to get Cortana back. Mm-hmm. But I think it's told in a really awesome way that yeah. makes the makes the player not feel like they're just on this weird side quest that's like rescue the princess type thing. Yeah, it's always in the back of your mind, and then it kind of leads to that. Because they, they didn't want this game to be about, let's go find Cortana. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be kind of kind of like a side thought, almost. And that's why they kind of had, you know, her reminding you that she existed. Yeah, you mean they didn't want a Halo 5? <laughs> so a year into development, Paul Pertone, who was a designer and kind of turned into a producer into development, took some time off from Halo 3 to contemplate if he even wanted to do it anymore. Six months later, though, Paul would return as the mission lead for Halo 3. One of the huge focuses that they really pushed for Halo 3 mm-hmm. was vehicles and equipment, both for the player and how AIs used it. Yeah, that was kind of like a really integral part of it. Yeah, because so not only are we introducing, like we have with most Halos, newer vehicles, new weapons, we're introducing equipment in this one, mm-hmm. which, as you guys know, is like grav lift, bubble shield, the healing thingy, the healing you know, thingy, as, as they call it, uh, the killing thingy that drains your shields, the trippy thingy, yeah, you know those things, invincibility, invincy thingy, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got all those. Um, so for the most part, all of these new enemies and vehicles and equipment work just fine, um, which led them to be implemented really easily into the game. Yeah, because I, I forgot who said it, but they said, you know, they they, they had a meeting and they, they made a list of everything they wanted to implement. And then they realized, like, we can do that. And they were just like, oh, man, we should have just said no to half of these because that means if, you know, they, they green light all these new things, now we have to do all these new things. Yeah, which, which in hindsight is great because it led to a smaller amount of content being cut from the game mm-hmm. as we as opposed to we saw in like 2 and even yeah. CE with creatures and like whole different bits of it being cut. Yeah. This allowed them to put what I like to call like, you know, like player controlled or player used content mm-hmm. into the game. Yeah. And don't get us wrong. There is plenty of cut content, but not as much as 
they thought that would be. Now, Bungie also wanted to restore the quote-unquote golden tripod. In Halo Combat Evolved, players had three equal ways to kill someone. Grenades, guns, and melee. This was taken away in Halo 2 with the introduction of dual wielding. For Halo 3, the tripod would be restored. Guns would carry less ammo, and melee and grenades would become more powerful. Restoring balanced gameplay would also lead to the creation of equipment, as we talked about. Little things also came from the testing labs, like uh, the aiming reticle only turning red when the enemy is within range, helping the player figure out if they would be wasting ammo, depending on how far away they are. Which is huge in multiplayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, because obviously weapons can still hit at range. There's decreased damage and obviously decreased accuracy in a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. But that's huge. That's a huge implement of it. However, uh, going back a little bit, Golden Tripod is one of the worst terms I've ever heard. I'm taking that straight from Bungie themselves. I know, and it's the worst term I've ever heard. <laughs> it, but it's it's similar to how you'd have uh, weapon triangles mm-hmm. or, or anything that needs to be balanced Rock, out. paper, scissor. Rock, paper, Which scissor. Which was a huge thing we'll talk about in Halo Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, for example, in Fire Emblem. Uh, in the older Fire Emblems, not so much the newer ones, you had a weapon triangle and a magic triangle that was like, you know, lance would beat sword, sword would beat axe, axe would beat lance. That's kind of what they're talking about because you want to make sure that guns mm-hmm. are balanced with somewhat of the damage and lethality of melee combat and with grenades. And so when you lose that, that's when you have exploits, especially multiplayer-wise, mm-hmm. either staying on specifics or even just in the campaign, just making it feel that those grenades actually did damage. And yeah. like the chief's punch from his armor actually does damage to the enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So also within development, there are some outside developers brought in to help with certain aspects here and there. This is something that Eric had told us. And and most of the time it, it wasn't helpful at all because Eric had said how uh, some outside developers came in to do the faces. Yeah, to work on the faces of the Marines specifically mm-hmm. and kind of get those done. And in his own words, he's like, they were just terrible. It jacked or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He said the only thing, the only one that he, he didn't have to redo himself was Johnson. Yeah. Brutes also had to be completely redone since they were the new main foe in Halo 3. Because if you, yeah, because in Halo 2, they were thrown in last minute and they weren't interesting at all. They were just kind of like, these, no. they were just beasties mm-hmm. pretty much. They were like bullet sponges. They had no like interesting characteristics. No, they, they were, they were cannon fodder basically. It felt mm-hmm. like, I mean, it felt like they were. Obviously a little stronger. Obviously they could, you know, charge you and take you out, but Mm -hmm. there wasn't much to it. So what they had to do was obviously change them up. So they took on Mm -hmm. the idea that, for me, kind of started in Halo 2 whenever they started taking the guard armor Mm -hmm. and basically took that idea and gave them kind of what the elites would have in the Covenant. Yeah, along with overshields. Exactly. So you've got the overshields. And the overshields, what I loved within Halo 3, when you knew the Brute's overshield was out, their armor basically exploded off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and could... they were just the naked woolly mammoth that they were. Yeah, and their armor shields never recharged compared to the elites. Yeah, because then they went into kind of that same Brute craze that you saw mm-hmm. where they could charge you down and beat you down. But also still at times with the AI prediction maintained if they still had to shoot or if they had to go into, like, beast mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though they, that that beast or berserker mode was very watered down, but I don't think anyone was complaining about that. No, I was fine with that, because I think in 2, it became so predictive, and mm-hmm. also it just wasn't as fun with it. Yeah. But with this, one of the real big things that they added in was pack mentality for the brutes, mm-hmm. which I loved, which was slightly different than the AI that was given to whether it be elites grunts, jackals, uh-huh. was that they all kind of stayed together and mm-hmm. traveled together. 
And they made decisions based on what the player would do, especially in the equipment range. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then even if one throws a grenade, the rest are going to throw a grenade. If one starts firing at you, the rest are going to fire at you. If if some of them are taking cover, you know, they, they work together. Yeah, and, and it made... I think probably for netcode, very interesting mm -hmm. to see, like, if this, then that. Like, what one brute would do, you'd have to, like, change the code up with that, mm -hmm. which is cool. But this also led us into having brute chieftains. Yes. Yeah, and they were, you know, whatever they did goes. And I, the brute chieftains are some of my favorite characters within Halo. I, they're badass. And I think one of the big things I really enjoyed with it was, like you said before, one of the equipments you could get was invincibility. Mm -hmm. And whenever you're running through different levels, and especially the level where you have to turn off the shields yeah, um, to then eventually fly your Hornet and take out those scarabs, yep. was you'd go to the top and there'd always be that chieftain, whether it be mm -hmm. having... And they always usually had like your heavy weapons. So it'd mm -hmm. be either a hammer or it would be a, a plasma, plasma turret. turret. Yep. Things like that, and it was just really cool to have that. So some of them had the invincibility, mm -hmm. and would go all sparkling. And you're like, well, can't do anything for a bit. Well, I'm uh, going back down this yep. elevator oh, and oh, fucking taking off it back until down. then. Yeah. <laughs> Another cool thing I liked is that the developers had their own room that they would film themselves falling and doing various things to help with animations. And it's funny you say that because most modern games now have a full mocap set. Mm -hmm. that's used for all these different character builds and how characters walk and talk mm -hmm. and do that. And if you've ever seen any of those trailers where they recreate it, basically in super, super lo-fi, mm -hmm. like they have that for the new Devil May Cry, where they basically just do it with like cardboard and have to act it out first to yeah. then film it and then get into mocap. It's really, really cool. So it's kind of the predecessor that we're seeing to it mm -hmm. that kind of helped, you know, like you said, the developers and the game designers, like, get some accurate motion in yeah well you know another thing i like is since halo 3 was going to be the newest generation or you know halo 3 was going to be on the newest generation of xbox developers has stated that uh they had to create the same experience as halo 2 but it would require four times as much work considering the hd movement in consoles you had to put some more effort into it like that was the thing was where you couldn't downgrade or push that like you mm -hmm. had now like we said going from 480p to 1080p mm -hmm. and it was a huge huge jump in pixel mm -hmm. density in high definition and it had to look next gen yeah so dan miller had this to say about halo 3's development there was a strong focus on a new lighting tech and larger scale encounters in a bigger vehicle sandbox basically we wanted so bungie to level up the scale and visual fidelity while wrapping up the story with iconic elements and i think they did just that yeah and and that's what it needed to be you had to have that like you know visual pizzazz because mm -hmm. i think with with your your especially 360 ps2 going ps3 route visuals became a huge importance and visuals are a huge driver in the console wars today mm -hmm. yeah well i mean you got to think about this is that a lot of bungie employees I mean, or almost all like you know microsoft employees also had PS3s. Mm -hmm. you know, they they all had those those Wii's and everything else because they need to see what they're doing, what they need to compete against. Yeah. So they're going to play these games on these different consoles and go, okay, let's not do that. Yeah. And, and when you see a game that like you're putting together, you know, all of your art package, you're doing it, and then you see this game that's coming out and it's like realistic, you're like, oh, fuck. All right, go back. We got uh -huh. we got yep. to keep pumping it up. We got to keep doing it. And I think they did just that because you, if you go back and play, I guess you can do it on MCC, but if you actually go back and play some OG you know, CE 2 to 3, mm -hmm. you can see the visual upgrades huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, considering, like, uh, I, I hopped on the uh, 
the OG, my OG Xbox to play Halo 3 for this. And uh, then like, you know, hopping on later to do it on MCC, even those little differences, like those, those enhanced improvements, even like a later, later generation on the one, it's night and day. It is because you can still push what were the boundaries of the 360 on the one. Mm-hmm. So you get that like little, little granule nugget of betterness. Yeah. Even if it's at 1%. Yeah. Someone write that down. It's a great, that's a great <laughs> phrase I made up. <laughs> So let's move on to later stages of development for Halo 3. Max Hoberman would leave Bungie at the end of 2006 to start Certain Affinity and sign on with Microsoft, but still continue to help with certain aspects of the Halo franchise. For the quote-unquote Bungie era, they developed the Halo 2 Blastacular map pack along with the Halo Waypoint app. They've, they've done some more stuff for 343, but that's what they've done for the Bungie Halo. Mm-hmm. And with that, we also had Joe Staten, who was originally supposed to have less involvement with Halo 3. Like we said, he really wasn't working on a lot of it, just kind of mm-hmm. was hands-off. But with the later stages of kind of the all-hands-on-deck, like, mm-hmm. shit's about to hit the fan time, like, he jumped in and helped where he could. Yeah. And also around this time, uh, Bungie gave troops in Iraq a chance to play the alpha build of multiplayer for Christmas. So kind of some smaller, like, marketing and PR things that they're doing. Yeah, and they knew. Like, it's, like, obviously, definitely want to support the troops and do what you can to help with the boredom of, you know, being on base. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's it's kind of like whenever singers go to the troops overseas. To, or WWE goes. Uh, yeah, wherever WWE goes, they go everywhere now. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it, it's pulling those things. So it's, it's a good thing wrapped up in a PR message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So also, you know, moving on to more development stuff, map design was different for the campaign for Halo 3. They wanted to make it feel like a little less nonlinear. There's always a primary path, but there's always a secondary path that goes to the same destination. Yeah, because we still have that point A to Z but you have all of your intertwining paths that can mm-hmm. get you there. Because if you look through a lot of the levels, one big thing that takes you off the beaten path uh, are the terminals mm-hmm. and skulls. And we're going to touch on that on our kind of our walkthrough with it, our very hashtag detailed ha- walkthrough yeah, hashtag of it. detailed walkthrough. Yeah. But there's also various situations where you can either skip some enemies entirely, mm-hmm. you can go through different tunnels, but they'll always lead you to that same end point to push the narrative further Mm -hmm. yeah well i know like they also wanted it to kind of be this way because some players were going backwards when they were doing initial testing like uh with the with the first mission that's why you always drop down in those missions because players before that were going back because they were getting lost yeah and you see that in a lot of different mechanics especially games around this time Mm -hmm. of always having that like point of no return to make sure that you're not backtracking for no reason in case Mm -hmm. you're like did i leave something back there yeah Am I missing something? So they had that point to keep you going. A.K.A. the level Cortana. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because Cortana. We'll, t- we'll talk about some little tidbits about that here soon. Uh, so around the end of development, Paul Bertone and Joe Staten would start working on the multiplayer maps. Marcus Leto was starting to spearhead Reach. And Jones and Jamie Greismer would start work towards their new project, Destiny. So as soon as 2007, we were seeing Destiny being conceptualized. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you you have them kind of working in secret, kind well, of. Well, that's on their what own. Eric told us. He said that slowly, more and more people were being called to the quote the second the second floor on the secret project. Yeah, the secret project that he's just kind of pulling people from mm-hmm. and not really understanding what it was. Obviously, it would come out that that's what it was. Yeah, but yeah, because at this time there's like three or four games being developed within either Halo or Bungie, and so it's kind of crazy to, to see all this happening. And one of the things we do see from the, for that development is that some of the voice actors that we saw in Halo 2 mm-hmm. uh, didn't come back for 3. 
Yeah, and that was probably due to just scheduling conflicts or, you know, they signed up for one game and then now I have a movie to do, which we can't do. Yeah, we were talking with Arreo and just asked him those questions just to double mm-hmm. check. And he said, no one turned down the gig just because they didn't want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But like with anything, within voice acting or Hollywood, it really depends on scheduling yeah. and well, what projects they're working on. I think that was right around the time for Julie Benz and Dexter, yeah. if I'm correct. So stuff like that happens because I always thought maybe there was something else going on. But, you know, he clarified no. Yeah, and, and so we did lose Benz, uh, who voiced Miranda Keys, mm-hmm. and she was replaced by Justice Bolding. Or is it Justice Bolding? We'll go Justice. Justice sounds better. Justice Bolding. Justice and then, Bolding. And then Robin Atkin Downs, who voiced the Prophet of Truth in two, was replaced by Terrence Stamp, who gave us a nice blood-curdling death. I will say, I, can, I only know of him in uh, The Haunted Mansion. Can't name another movie that is he's that, been is in. Is it the Eddie Murphy movie? That is. Oh, good. I mean, it's two great IPs right there. (laughs) And so, uh, but through the campaign, we would still see many famous actors such as Mm -hmm. Ron Perlman, John DiMaggio, Alan Tidick? Tidick? Tidick. Let's go with Tidick. Alan Tidick, Adam Baldwin, and Nathan Fillion. Even several members of Rooster Teeth, including Gus Sirola and Jeff Ramsey, I think Gavin Free was in there too, uh, lent their voices to the game. And then Joe Staten would return once again to be one of the most important voice actors in the game as the Grunts. As the Grunts? Yeah, I, I didn't actually know until doing research for this is that Joe did Grunts for Halo CE and 2. Oh, wow. So, fun fact. So now here's a question that we're going to have to dive deeper into. Mm-hmm. Was it his own writing for the birthday party stuff. Ah, uh, man, maybe if we can get a hold of him, we could ask him. So, Joe, I know you listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> obvious, it's obvious out there uh, with all of our many uh, followers. If you are, let's talk. Let's talk, as you know, because we have multiple creative directors from Microsoft listening to us. So, yeah, um, let's call it Dialogue for Halo 3 was recorded in Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, and Seattle. Campaign dialogue was broken down into different tiers based on actions that the characters make or what is happening to the AIs in the game. There are over 35,000 lines of combat dialogue alone. These lines also had to be translated into 10 different languages. There is also a third category for dialogue, the cinematic dialogue. And we, we do see that because you'll notice when if you're with the Marines mm-hmm. or we'll learn a little, little tidbit, a little Easter egg coming up with Johnson in a certain scene that he has different lines depending on what difficulty you play. Mm-hmm. Even with the Rooster Teeth guys. Yeah. They have different lines depending on the difficulty. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's just such little tidbits like that that make, one, the replayability of like mm-hmm. the campaign so much more. Because for me, when I first buy the game, I played on normal. To play through it and mm-hmm. to get the story. And I know Jesse's only heard of Easy, but that's okay. Normal, normal. Uh, Jesse's Legendary is normal. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then I'll you know play it on Legendary to go through it and actually be a hashtag true gamer. But it's cool. It's, it's cool to notice those little those little tidbits. And then, you know, even going back to having like the Grunt Birthday Party skull and having the um, I Would Have Been Your Daddy skull. Mm-hmm. Having both of those and the I Would Have Been Your Daddy skull... That like the whole change in dialogue 
mm-hmm. based on like little, uh, you know, Easter eggs like that, that you yeah. get the skull, turn it on, and everything kind of changes dialogue-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, moving on, Bungie would have access to Microsoft Labs in order to get deeper dive into the minds of gamers testing Halo 3. This is actually really cool. In the course of Halo 3's development, Randy Pugalayan and the rest of the Microsoft Labs team spent over 3,000 hours analyzing 600 just regular gamers playing Halo 3. This would help determine changes in, in you know, later stages of development. Because, like, it was cool that they, they would all sit in a room and they had this map and they would see all these dots of where people died. So if there was a huge cluster, they could click on one of those dots and watch the video of this player and why they died and how they died and their comments. Like, well, then, and crazy. The cool thing was, was that whenever the gamers did really well, they were actually fed in their cells. Mm-hmm. And when they did poorly and kept dying, they were, they were taken out back and just taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's 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 really cool. I mean, those type of things, especially getting the psychology of gaming mm-hmm. and what it takes to be a game tester. Because as a kid, like that was like the dream of mine. It was like, yeah, I actually play video games all day. Yeah, but you don't realize it's, that it's running in a corner, or they even said jumping in a spot a thousand times to see if it breaks a map. Yeah, to see if for some reason in the code at jump number nine nine six it's mm-hmm. like okay then you just fall through the world yeah that's all game testers are is break my game yeah yeah because it's even i think like the second they build the title screen ui they just try to break it mm-hmm. yeah um and it was really cool because they had someone as well watching the face of someone playing the game to see their reactions like that to me is absolutely crazy and this really helped as you said look into the psychology of gaming itself and like what is a good experience for a gamer because that's the thing you need people coming back um Mm -hmm. i mean you have the way they do it today is loot boxes and kind of gambling and all of those Mm -hmm. things uh but this was kind of really the first stages you see at least in the halo universe that they're kind of really putting the money and effort behind it Mm -hmm. to get that psychology because you need that player to have that experience you need that like marty o'donnell music Mm-hmm. To like draw you in and like get that blood pumping to like, yeah. I'm gonna save the world. Exactly. So by the end of development, Bungie had truly felt that they had released the best product they had ever made. A vast majority of employees had even started testing the game the second it was playable. They were all excited about this. This wasn't a, yeah, I'm just gonna play it because I have to. They they all loved it. So on July seventh, two thousand seven, Bungie would be an independent studio no longer owned by Microsoft. In a short amount of time, a handful of Bungie employees would become the new owners of the studio, and they would offer bonuses to anyone who'd come over to Bungie instead of staying with Microsoft. Some stayed, and some some left. As you know, uh, that's what Eric told us. He said, you know, once he saw this change of hands, he didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, and and we'll cover more of this. So. When we touch on our last piece of Bungie Media, mm-hmm. which I think is early next year, we'll definitely do a deep dive in this because mm-hmm. what we learned um, from Areo, from Eric Areo, is a lot of the inside scoop of kind of what was going on mm-hmm. and, and things were handed off a little differently than some people might think. Mm-hmm. So we'll really touch on that to kind of see where, when, why, how things happened with it. Yeah. And so to wrap up the development, we just have some random trivia overall about the game that we want to share. The game would cost $60 million to make, and that's including the cost of marketing, which I think it was almost half and half or like one-third, two-third kind Mm -hmm. of breakdown. The game has has 50,000 total pieces of sound, 40,000 being NPC dialogue, and which that just blows my mind that... 
you know, 80% of it is just lines. A good amount of, and this is one fact that I really enjoy, and we talked to Ariel about this a little bit, that most of the Marines, a lot of their faces were featured from developers mm-hmm. or pulled from faces around the studio mm-hmm. um, and put in there. Because when you have, you know, someone to work off of, yeah. it makes it easy. Well, I remember even seeing, like, the making of Doc. He was like, I have a pretty symmetrical face, so you see him, like, scooching his nose over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, he's like, I have, I have to be a little more realistic here. I have to have a broken nose or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and also months before the release of Halo 3, a code name or a game codenamed Epsilon would leak, the final testing copy of Halo 3. Now, anyone caught playing this version of the game would have their Xbox Live account banned until the year... 9,999. Here's the thing, though. That's not a lifetime ban. It's not. If you keep your account and pass <laughs> it to your great-great-great-grandchildren, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, mm-hmm. even greater, uh, they'll, <laughs> they'll be able to play at that time. Yeah. They'll be able to go back and say, my G to the 405th power got banned trying to play mm-hmm. illegally. And that, that's standing up to Microsoft. I think that's standing up to corporations more than anything. It really is. But this is not the first time that we've had a game leaked, specifically in Halo. Yeah, Halo Combat Evolved and Halo 2, we talked about this. How it's kind of a problem, but it's bound to happen, and especially it's happening more and more. And with so many hands, and what happens with a lot of movies, too, is whenever you go into translation into a different country... Mm-hmm. Sometimes someone there will do it. And that's not trying to like point at countries or point at, at, at foreigners for doing it specifically. Mm-hmm. It's just you have so many different outlets mm-hmm. that one person's bound to be, then be like, I could probably make a dime doing this. Yeah, or even someone can get in. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's harder to break into just Bungie Secure Network, but when they're passing off files all across the world we could either intercept or break into their, you know, this other country's secure files at their studio. Yeah, with their password of password1234. Yeah. So the final piece of, like, random trivia that I thought was just incredible is it took three years to develop Halo 3, and in that time, Bungie employees consumed over 20,000 pounds of pizza, 24,000 gallons of soda, and 1,000 pounds of bananas. Still waiting on our pizzas, though. Yeah. Uh, and bananas. That sounds really good right now. Yeah. Soda, just... Just give Jesse some monster. <laughs> just well, that's the trigger word for everyone in disc Discord. If yeah, you just, bring up just, monster. Just cloud his arteries with seventeen <laughs> cans of monster a day. Because I think he's already hit that twenty four thousand gallons of monster just in this podcast alone. I've had three today so far, so uh, we're, we're doing there. good. Now let's move on to marketing. One or two of my favorite parts about doing these game episodes. So, with Halo 3's marketing campaign, it was going to be the biggest that the franchise would see at the time, costing 30 to $40 million. This is the first time that we would see cinematic live-action trailers from Halo, which has kind of become a staple since. Microsoft wanted everyone to buy Halo 3, not just the longtime fans, along with selling more 360 consoles during Halo 3's release. And that's what kind of pushed for the, the, the Halo 3 version of it. Yeah, and, and I think they did it really well. So this is going to the future. Comparing uh, Bungie's approach to pull on non-Halo fans mm-hmm. as opposed to 343s with like five to pull non-Halo fans by just like sacrificing anything that the OG fans like. It was like for the multiplayer, essentially. It's basically for the multiplayer. It's basically to pull that in. And so I think they did really well. And like we said, like the game cost in total, what, $60 million? With marketing, I, I've read some things that are saying marketing was 40 or 30. So still so, at least half. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, at minimum half. Yeah, so Microsoft wanted to sell 1.5 million copies, which that's, once we go into how much it's sold, that's fucking laughable. That that's all they wanted to sell. Oh, yeah. And the market, the market research showed that uh, only 75% of those copies would sell from, quote-unquote, faithful Halo fans. So they that left about 375,000 copies that would need to go out to new fans. Thus, the push for marketing began. So let's break down all the main things that they really did along with some minor things. So we would first see Halo 3 at E3 in 2006 with the announcement trailer. This trailer was released in May of 2006 at a Microsoft press conference at E3, and it would show Chief walking up to the portal at Voy and the Covenant Armada to follow. It was like, you know, whenever the Ark would start to uncover. Mm-hmm. And even with that, we would start to see Cortana and her messages. And I, like, you know, that trailer is amazing alone because... It really like you hear that new track from Martin or Marty, the piano coming in, and it's pretty reminiscent. Are you talking about the do to do? Do to do, but uh, everyone knows higher the do. little octaves, you know. Yeah, the do <laughs> yeah, but it, that trailer already got people very pumped. Then E3 of 2007, we had a gameplay trailer come out, and that's when we heard the Prophet of Truth talking. And and I, most of that, it looked like it was done within Forge for the most part. Mm-hmm. How they would zoom in on Chief and everything, which I think is a brilliant way to market Forge as well. Like, look, we clearly they probably had some outside sources working on that. That wasn't just Forge, but overall, still pretty pretty Who's badass trailer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you had probably one of my favorite trailers of this campaign, but of almost all time, oh, if not my favorite trailer of all time, is the Starry Night trailer. And if you guys haven't seen it, if you guys didn't kind of grow up with it and see it on TV or through whatever medium you're watching stuff through, go look it up. Just go look right. up on YouTube. And if you pause look up, this episode and go watch it, I'm yeah. serious. And just just put Starry Night trailer and you'll find it. And it premiered December 2006 during a Monday Night Football. And it started with these two kids who were laying in like tall grass, mm-hmm. kind of like in like a meadowy area. I yeah, you'd say yeah. Or grasslands, and uh, just talk about the idea of aliens. Like, you know, we're here. Like, are are they out there? Like, what are they thinking of us? Type do, thing. Do you think they want? Do Do you want? Do they want to meet us? Yeah, they want to meet us. And you know, you learn that this child is John, saying he wants to meet these aliens. Yeah, and, and so you you then pan over and you see this area. Um, it's kind of blank, and mm-hmm. then it. it opens up to kind of a barren area with uh, Chief's helmet. Yeah, well, it's like Chief's helmet in the grass at night, mm-hmm. and then an explosion happens and it's Chief's helmet in in the dirt during mm-hmm. the day. Yeah, and that's when Chief picks it up and he puts the helmet on. And when he looks up, you see kind of like the, the, the plasma from a wraith coming at him and he puts the gun behind him and someone says, I think we lost Chief. And he says, not yet. Which the marketing really was trying to play Chief implying chief was going to die at the end of this yeah so because like, like you're saying like not yet you're seeing these things of him younger kind of talking mm-hmm, about it, wanting to meet aliens and now he he's met them yeah and, and then and then you have one of like the coolest battle charges that you will ever see so chief like puts his assault rifle on his back draws mm-hmm. his pistol takes a couple steps looks up and this is where you first get the look at his equipment mm-hmm. yeah he, he throws a bubble shield down and it protects him from the plasma from the wraith mm-hmm. and then he instantly just starts going just running straight forward and jumps into a pack of brutes and yeah. you see the chieftain there too yes yeah, where you're saying because yeah he's he's running towards this cliff edge and as he jumps you see wraiths around and then this pack of brutes in the mm-hmm. center and you see him just diving towards that and that's when it cuts halo three. yeah which i like is you see some of those brutes start to run away. Mm-hmm. And even you can tell this is a little bit of a dated trailer because it was in 2000, yeah, it was in 2006. 
The hammer that the Brute Chieftain was holding resembled the Fist of Rucked from Halo 2. Mm-hmm. This is before they moved on to the more mechanical ones uh, that all the other Chieftains would be holding. But either way, one of my favorite trailers of all time, if not, you know, if not for even just Halo, but just in general. I watch it a handful of times even today just to kind of prep up for this episode. Yeah. So as I said, if you haven't seen it, go look it up and go get hyped. So we also had Landfall which was a really, really cool kind of short movie. It was kind of short, three short pieces that made them, that got made into a movie. Yeah, a short film. Yeah, Landfall is, yeah, short film, is a short film documenting the ODST and Marines attempting to put a lock on Chief's coordinates as he jumps from the Forerunner Dreadnought entering Earth's atmosphere. This came from needing to use the resources created from the, the canceled Halo movie, which we'll talk about a little more later on. Yeah, because I remember this when it came out because there was that hype of talking about would it even be possible to make a Halo movie? Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was rumors about it here, and then was it canceled? Was it doing this? And mm-hmm. then when this dropped, this was something like that. Like all, like you got it from someone who shared it, and then you shared it, mm-hmm. and just kind of went, I, I guess, viral at the time mm-hmm. because you finally got to see like aliens on screen that were still obviously animated, but were like in quote unquote real life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This this is the best live action mm-hmm. sequence or short film or anything that we would get from Halo yet, because this was actually originally filmed as camera testing when uh, Neil Blomkamp was being considered for the Halo movie. Bungie decided to use it as a trailer for Halo Three. It was uh, three shorts called Arms Race, Combat, and The Last One Standing. Again. Go on YouTube, pause this, go on YouTube, look up Halo Landfall. It's about seven minutes long. Yeah, it's about six, six and a half, seven minutes, yeah. It, it, it's good. It's shot so well. You know, as I said, like, for the C, the computer animation in 2007, it was really, really good. And I, I, I was like, where is two more hours of this after I watched it? Well, like you said, it, for, for it being a camera test and kind of a film test to see if they would be in this. I mean, there's definitely portions. I watched it again today. There's definitely portions that date it. And make it look like a student film at times, mm-hmm. like when you have the when you have the Marines and ODST kind of armoring up, you can yeah. tell clearly there's a green screen behind them for some of it. <laughs> but after that, once you get past kind of that assembly line stuff mm-hmm. and arms race that short, yeah, yeah, the arms race so like like your first stuff of like they're sort of assembling warthogs, they're assembling weaponry, and like you mm-hmm. see Marine helmets all on tables, and they're kind of gearing up for it. Once you get past that. And you get through into the second short, second two shorts that make up the movie. Mm-hmm. It's really cool because it's, it's shot from kind of the same thing we see in ODST when the AI of the city is going around camera to camera, mm-hmm. looking through and watching. And you even see through the the camera of the, the Marines and the ODST as well. Yes, yeah, so you see through that. You see through some infrared cameras. You see through uh, just some like military satellite kind of cameras that are around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's honestly, it's as a whole, it's phenomenal. Yeah, so check it out. It's a short, it's a short little watch. Um, yeah, and let us know what you think of it because it, it basically plays out really cool that you follow, in the end, you follow one of these ODST who basically finds the coordinates for what looks like a Spartan laser, mm-hmm. best yeah. way to describe it, uh, and basically is a tracker to pull him down. And you see a pretty brutal short film. Yeah, it definitely shows like when you are not Master Chief, brutes just mow through you. Yeah, and and, and you have one, uh, you know, kind of our, I guess you want to say our, uh, you know, protagonist of this. Mm-hmm. You know, he takes um, uh, brute mauler, Sp- spiker, spiker. So, yeah, through the chest. 
Yeah, yeah. It takes it. I love how realistic it is because he's suffering from this, and they say, "Can you do your job?" And he says, "Yes." And then the uh, the medic runs away. Yeah, the, like because that's exactly how it is. Yeah, it's what? like, can can you function? Yes. Okay, I'll be back for you. I need to tend to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, and so they eventually come back. Um, you know, yank that spike out, mm-hmm. and they you know biofoam it. Yeah. And which I will say that that was definitely just shaving cream. It's like the same thing. <laughs> what, what what if we haven't discovered that shaving cream is biofoam? True. Haven't used it yet. Uh, yeah, and and so it's just, and then you see some brutality of like, you know, one of the ODSTs says, you know, you guys do this. I'll flank, you know, I'll kind of you know draw their attention with so a sniper rifle. With a sniper rifle, takes a couple of brutes out, but then a chieftain comes up behind him and just decimates him. and just nails him with that hammer. Yeah, and you see blood splatters in the wall, which from his head. Yeah, so you see that splatter, which is which is pretty realistic to kind of what it would be, and I would say CG wise done really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, watch that. It's amazing. So let's move on to the Believe campaign, which I think is kind of the highlight of all of this. Mm-hmm. Which this, you know, the, the Believe campaign was a series of trailers released a speculated 50 years after the Human Covenant War, highlighting Chief as the hero of the Human Covenant War. These trailers would interview soldiers who fought in the war along with showcasing a museum created. Uh, it's like the the Museum of Humanity, yeah. basically, showing the highlights of the war and uh, showcasing this miniature model creating showing the horrors of this of a battle on earth this this was just a phenomenal thing because you know you had those multiple interviews but then you had one of them one of the videos which was all about people hand making these models and like showing like soldiers being dragged away by jackals or soldiers crying Mm -hmm. or dying being shot like and it's really like i saw like a, a youtube comment that was like wow like i'm really feeling for these made-up soldiers right now because it it really is like holy shit this is amazing well it's one of those things where like they're really showing those kind of horrors of war that Mm -hmm. goes into it and and like you said like if you can pull emotion and get that from a crowd like think on how that affects the market and you kind of want to push them to jump in and save those marines Mm -hmm. and, and and kind of be a part of that to help save humanity yeah well even then like one of them when they're interviewing a marine he talks about the memorial for Master Chief is right about a mile up there. So we're again, we're kind of pulling out like, is Chief going to die after this? Because yeah. if it's 50 years after, maybe he dies of old age. But when you have the Starry Night trailer where Chief says, you know, you know, did we lose him? And he says, not yet. You know, you have the weight of those words saying like he's going to do what it takes, but it's going to take everything essentially. Yeah. And, and that, it- that's what Bungie was selling. And it is because when you're making a trilogy like that and, you know, like we said, there was plans for them to have to continue mm-hmm. a series. But if you didn't like if it didn't necessarily go through, you kind of keep it open ended. Mm-hmm. So you could either end the entire story here or like they did with the end of the game. You kind of keep it open to see what is going to happen to Chief. Yeah. Another thing that they did, which is the first time uh, they were doing Vidox for the development of Halo 3, which was a good source for the notes for a lot of this. Many Vidox were released during Halo 3's development, showcasing new features and graphics throughout the development. Mm-hmm. And they even did some later on for the new multiplayer maps where they have the developers as their Halo 3 multiplayer characters, and they would just kind of just show you what's new with this map. I thought that was really cool, and they've kind of continued to do that ever since. It's pretty cool. There's a lot of game companies that have started doing that, even with updates. So like, even mm-hmm. like Overwatch, you have one of uh, you know game directors comes up, and we'll go through all the updates that are happening, and all of you know the character changes, or new maps, or mm-hmm. updates to it, kind of going through the game and getting people hyped about why they chose to do these things, 
And that's kind of what the Vidocs did. Yeah. Again, it's just really cool to see from their point of view and even seeing like they do one of like game testing where, you know, like there was a video of like Dan Miller uh, actually watching someone playing a game and like screwing up for some reason. You could see him sigh and just be like, again. So it's like it wasn't like highlighting all the highs. It was showcasing like all kind of the troubles that they were having with development too. It, yeah, they it, were honest. Yeah, it's it's to really show what goes behind it because you don't want to be like, you know, all daisies and roses like, it was great. Everything mm-hmm. was awesome. It's like, no, this is the blood, sweat, and tears that actually went mm-hmm. into making this product that you're using. Yeah, well, that's what even Eric said as a, they, they kind of needed more producers to, ch- to check everything that was going on. As we said, you know, something's going to happen and then all of a sudden it, it screws over a lot of things. Yeah. Now, we also had Iris. So keeping the tradition with, you know, Thinking outside of the box, marketing strategies. Iris is a quote, an ARG or alternate reality game designed to give people more information on how the great conflict behind the Halo franchise began and the climactic conclusion. So kind of the same with I Love Bees and was it the Cortana files or Cortana emails and yeah, Combat that, Evolved? Yeah, that you can kind of dig through and mm-hmm. read those. Uh, which I... It's I can't say for sure, but I'd love to do an episode all about those because it's it's very interesting and kind of confusing. It is, and and there's even some of that like superlative media that you get from all of those, mm-hmm. some collector's edition things that you can read through, which really tell a lot of the details of just some fun tidbits that if you're a hardcore fan, mm-hmm. really draw you in and really give you a cool insight to what's yeah, going to happen. Kind of like fan service to people who like can really break down that stuff, digest it and understand it. Yeah, and, and, and I would say uh, coming up to probably one of the best marketing strategies, you know, in my opinion, because it's a great place to visit, was Master Chief was the first video game character to become a wax statue at Madame Tussauds in Vegas. And Pete Wentz... We all love us uh, some some Fallout Boy. I actually do. Was there to inaugurate it, but he was a little hungover. He was uh, sipping a little too much. Yeah, so his, his a little his, too much tippling. His his speech was a uh, short and sweet, and that's all you need. And it's really cool because the statue of Chief was created by an artist in London who put almost nine hundred hours into the seven foot two. All of our European people just translate that two hundred and seventy five pound. Also translate that statue. I want to say that's like 110, 120 kilos. Yeah, all of our British people, too. Translate to stones. Let me know. <laughs> well, I like at this event is Martin O'Donnell introduced himself to Pete Wentz, but he called him Paul. He's like, what's up, what's up Paul? I'm Marty O'Donnell. <laughs> Close enough. Pete Wentz was just so hungover. He's like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Well, Marty also said he's a fan of emo from this. He said he listened to Fall Boy. He's like, yeah, I'm a fan of this. Well, that's a he shame. Just, he just says he does not like rap. Hmm. So he doesn't like whenever we play, uh, what do we play? Sicko mode. Yeah, he doesn't like sicko mode, apparently. It's a shame. (laughs) Master Chief was also, you know, his face was plastered on, basically, or his helmet was plastered on anything and everything that Bungie could get their hands on. Most notably, Mountain Dew Gamer Fuel, which was born from Halo 3's marketing. It was released August 13th, 2007, and was originally available for only 12 weeks, which is a lie, because we still have it today. Yeah, so, so you, you know, thanks to Halo 3 for all you MDGFs out there <laughs> who really enjoy that. Um, you know, it started from that, and it's really cool because I love when companies do kind of this shotgun method of marketing mm-hmm. where it's like shoot to whatever product you can put it on. If it sticks, great. And there's some companies that do it really well, mm-hmm. um, and there's some companies that do some really odd things. But with this, 
you kind of hit your target base, kind of like the stereotypical Mountain Dew Doritos thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know, obviously, it still stuck around. Yeah, it it, it was there's such a high demand for it that they brought it back. Burger King would also partner with Bungie, putting Master Chief all over their packaging. 7-Eleven would continue their partnership with Microsoft and selling specialty cups promoting Halo 3. There was also a special Halo 3 Zune, which really, you know, puts a timestamp on this. Which I owned. <laughs> you you own the Halo 3 Zune? I do. Oh, I did not know that. It came with the music artwork and trailers, and the Zune included soundtracks from Halo Combat Evolved and 2. Complete side note, I got it because I think when I worked at Best Buy, was that it? Or was it through something else? I don't know. But I got points to basically get um, Xbox and Microsoft promotional materials that they didn't give away. Uh-huh. We, like, quote-unquote, bought them with points. Yeah. So that's how I got my Zoom. That's awesome. Yeah. Bungie would also throw parties inviting writers and actors to come play Halo 3, some of which included Andy Samberg and Jason Sudeikis. Sudeikis is actually a longtime Halo and Bungie podcast fan, and Brian Gerard even noted that he's a pretty damn skilled player. Like, they, they had said that at these parties, sometimes a writer or journalist gets an invite and they just show up for the drinks. But they said, like, when Jason showed up, he was just right there on Halo 3 and did like, not budge from like hopped it. on the couch, shoved someone off, and, like, took the controller. Yeah, like... which, I mean, it's it's crazy to think that, like, you know, we don't think of, like, celebrities as, like, real people, but then you have people who are like, oh, my God, I love this game. Well, especially before social media and all of this stuff of, like, getting, like, mm-hmm. insight, when you're like, oh, man, like, you know, they act. They're, like, above a threshold, mm-hmm. and they're like, nah, that's what I do. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> yeah. crazy. Uh, I'm going to go side note. So uh, going back to Burger King a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, if anybody wants to uh, sponsor me doing a second podcast on exclusively the Burger King games that came out, uh, let me know. <laughs> because Those like $2 Xbox games? Those things were fantastic. <laughs> I never played them. I, we could do that as a bonus episode or something. Sweet. I owned all four of them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Bungie would also sponsor the 2007 Project Revolution tour. This tour it featured bands like Linkin Park, My Chemical Romance, Him, Taking Back Sunday, Medina Lake, and many more popular artists of the time. Certain days of the tour, Bungie would hold contests and winners would not only be able to meet the bands, but they would be able to play Halo 3 multiplayer. And I like that Linkin Park even would like rummage through fans with security just so they could play Halo 3 matches, and in between matches, they would go and sign autographs, and when it would come back, they would go and play again. I love, like, the dedication to this game franchise, too. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah. like, like, playing through it, and I love that <laughs> Bungie kind of found their niche, mm-hmm. and, like, kind of emo rock with, like, Breaking Benjamin, Linkin Park, and, like, all that these new bands. metal to emo kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, that's that's what they hit, and, like, you know... Obviously, with like Halo 2 soundtrack and things like that, when we're seeing like Breaking Benjamin and things on the track, mm-hmm. just kept up with that. It's cool. Yeah. And another thing is that they started the Bungie podcast as kind of promotional piece for this because they were giving us updates about Halo 3, bringing in developers in all up until the release. And then they continue to it. They It's actually continued now, but I mean, the episodes are one or twice a year. And I think the last episode was 2014 or 17. But I mean, there's only been it's that's what I'm saying. It's a jump. There's only been five or six episodes since Bungie moved but, on to Destiny. Got it. So that's which, why I'm saying like 2014 or 17. I can't really remember. Yeah, which makes sense. Like one thing that you noted was that they kind of talked about was kind of being one of the OG podcasters or like podcasting when it wasn't as popular and pro, uh, prolific as it is today for, for like gaming. For yeah. gaming especially, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, was they can only 
go for so long because they had to host it themselves. Yeah, because I remember they would be like, how long are we into this, like an hour? Like, yeah, we have to stop because of the bandwidth. Yeah. So they, they've been doing, they, they really trudged through it, I think, which is amazing. So also, something, this is kind of marketing, but it's more PR, is, and I watched this interview today to confirm it, Julia Roberts cons- confessed in an interview that she's a huge Halo fan. She said she's not good at it, but she loves it. I, I love to hear that, too. Like, not only just as a Halo fan, but I love when people who are out of a fan base or you think would be, like, nowhere near that fan base, like, mm-hmm. no, I actually enjoy it. Like, yeah. I may not be good at it, but I think it's really cool. Well, you and, gotta think the, the story alone draws people in. It does. And it's what's kept people going. I mean, we've, we've talked about this several, several times, like the nostalgia trip you get from playing these games again. And mm-hmm. for us, like talking with you guys about all of this, it's just really, really cool. It kind of ignites that flame of staying up on midnight release to play it for six hours mm-hmm. and then go to school in an hour type thing. Yeah, pretty much. Or even just being like, I'm not going to school tomorrow. I, I'm sick today. <laughs> <laughs> that was me most days. <laughs> so yeah, the Friday before the VMAs in 2007, Linkin Park held a Halo 3 party. Like, that's that's how important this game was to even rock stars. Like, they were like, we want a Halo 3 party, let's do it. Yeah, and it just, once again, like you said, it's, it's a cool PR move, but for them, it's just kind of like, we just want to play it. Yeah, it wasn't like, it was PR for Bungie, but not for them. They're like, just give us this, this fucking game. Yeah, we set, want it. set it all up for us, let's play it. Boom. <laughs> yeah, Bungie also held an event in Atlanta, Georgia at Patchwork Studios hosted by Little John for many prominent hip-hop artists to play Halo 3. So even now, Little John's like, I want to play this. Yeah, and it expands it out. And once you have, you know, like obviously two games on your belt that you've got going with it, mm-hmm. third one's out, you have your diehard fans we talked about and these new fans. And whenever anything has a huge marketing push like this, you don't want some FOMO. You don't want a fear of missing out on it. You're like, mm-hmm. I want to be a part of this. Let's include everybody. And when you start to see celebrities do stuff from, you know, whatever walk of life it is, yeah. Then that kind of core base they have is like, okay, I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Best Buy also held a giveaway that featured a Pontiac G6 GXP Street Edition that had custom-made Halo 2 and 3 graphics on it. If Let's throw this out there, because I know you're listening to Pontiac Guy. If you have that Pontiac, please let us see it. Please let us. <laughs> please drive it over here. Because... I, I thought you were going to say, oh, I, bought, I, I got that with my uh, Best oh, yeah, Buy points. Oh, yeah, I also bought that with my Best Buy points, too. It's pretty easy. No one wanted it. No, like that would be super cool to see. Also, drive. We'll trade you. We'll tra- well, I'll trade you for my Saturn. That'd be great. <laughs> Limit, you know, it's limited edition. They don't make this anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the marketing was so impressive for Halo 3 that it also won several awards. PR Week would give it Technology Campaign of the Year for Halo 3's launch. Andy Awards gave it a grandy for the Believe campaign. Art Directors Club annual awards ceremony gave them five gold cubes, one silver cube, and two certificates of merit. Most of those were for the Believe campaign. That's like the laziest trophies of all time. <laughs> we're not shaping this in anything. Just cut some cubes up and Cert- then give it, them some certificates. Well, like, isn't that like the definition of an award? A certificate of merit, essentially? Yeah, but it's a piece of paper. They don't get, they don't get, a, they don't get a cool cube. Yeah, so that was the marketing, at least like the, the bigger, most notable aspects for it. Now, let's talk about what's new in Halo 3. What you know, what did they bring in that wasn't in Halo 2? And it's a pretty decent amount. I, I think with between CE and 2, we saw a lot more in terms of weaponry, mechanics like that, mm-hmm. vehicles. We still see improvements with that, but they added a lot more outside of your strict campaign mm-hmm. and your strict multiplayer. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about before, that Brute's Pack mentality, pretty big for AI at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that was new. 
we also had campaign scoring, which I will say, they originally were going to make that to where you had to finish the campaign first mm -hmm. before you could get that. Kind but, of unlock plus mode almost. Yeah, but, you know, for that replayability. But then they, you know, I, I think I think it was Brian Gerard said that only 10% of campaigns out there are ever c completed across all games. Hmm. So they're like, we can't do that. Same with Skulls. Skulls were only going to be available only after you finish the campaign once. So they kind of scrapped that idea. Yeah, especially if you, especially future thinking. Mm. If you've already like played the game and like restart it or get a new Xbox and restart again, you want to play through it mm. to like do the stuff you want to do. And the one big thing that I love with campaign scoring that they push with back then and with MCC is not only is it an achievement for certain aspects of it, but it just allows you to like compete against your friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which moves on to what was new is four player campaign mode. You also had, you know, you could play, you know, the four characters that would be Chief, Arbiter, and you had two additional elites that were canonical characters, which were, I'm going to butcher this, yeah. Uzi Taham and Natho Skrom. A.K.A. Other Elite and Red Elite. <laughs> yeah. Also, you had real-time campaign events. So certain cutscenes, you can never really skip them. But, it, you know, you would just keep playing as they would happen. Like, within the first mission, when that chieftain is pushing Johnson into that jail cell, mm -hmm. if you just press X, or I think it's X, you still see that happening. You can or shoot a, at you him. Just, yeah. You can kind of skip through it. But, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a continued yeah. cutscene. Yeah. I, I do have to say, I'm going to jump on a soapbox right here. I'm going to say this through the campaign. Mm -hmm. One of the worst things they added was real-time campaign events. Like Cortana or Gravemind talking to you. Yeah, um, because that was supposed to be like a kind of a, a tertiary story that they were telling. And, and that was their way of being like, oh, this way you don't forget about Cortana. And it's just like, I don't care about her right now. Yeah, you know what's, you know what's really fun in a game? When you're on pace and it makes you slow down. Mm -hmm. Nothing like being in like GTA or Red Dead when you have to do the walking missions. Because that's my favorite part in any game. When Assassin's I Creed. Assassin's Creed. When I have to follow someone and walk. Because yeah. you know what I love to do? Slow something down that I can do in real life. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, another thing is uh, that they implemented was depending on the difficulty, enemies would spawn in different places than before if you, you know, restart that checkpoint. Yeah. And, and we, we kind of saw a little bit of this in some of that uh, Bungie Vidoc that you were watching with it, uh -huh. where they kind of talked about the development cycle and they have kind of these spawn walls mm -hmm. that you build in. Jesse and I are not developers or anything like this. So it's really cool to us that we mm -hmm. see this. So it's like campaign triggers. Like you have to trigger a certain point and you can put a randomizer in there, yep. kind of RNG thing. And like you said, depending on the difficulty, it can kind of mix that up yep. so that you're not always knowing that when you hit that, you know, that person's, that jackal's gonna be right there. There's gonna be mm -hmm. two brutes there. It mixes it up for you. Yeah, exactly. That way it's like, you know, it gives it the replayability value, but also like completely just takes away being predictable. So also some, some big ones, there was theater and forge, which we will expand upon later. But yeah, so those were two huge things that were implemented. Yeah, because theater, you could watch me betray my best friend. <laughs> and forge, you could make maps so I can betray my best friend within it. It was great. You also had the terminals, which is, the, uh, again, that replayability value they really wanted to add in Halo 3. And that's what they were really trying to sell. You Now, to get into some weapons, we had the Mauler, and we had mounted turret weapons that could be pulled from their place. That was a first. Yeah, because before it was, you had those mounted turrets that were in a position that mm -hmm. would either kind of help you defend something or they were defending against you, and you could use it for that set amount of time. Yeah. But one of the big things they added, like you said, was 
when you use the turret itself, it's unlimited ammo. Mm-hmm. If you tear it from its mount, it has a finite amount of ammo that's still, in my opinion, a decent amount. 200 rounds, I think. For all of it? For for 100 or 200 once you pull it, and then it's like 200% or something for plasma. Yeah, so it's all around that. And then the same thing with one of the things that they do introduce is that kind of anti-air rocket pod. Mm-hmm. That's one that uh, mounted gives you these unlimited rocket pods, and you first see it in the level where you first see the scarab uh-huh. that you can kind of use against it, but you can also rip it off, use it, and then you see it also in the multiplayer map Valhalla as a, a spawn that's there. Mm-hmm. Yep, let me tell you, it's not really accurate when you're just firing at random people. No. You as, just, you... as I found in our Halo 3 buffer this past Saturday. Yeah, yeah, Jesse, uh, I learned very well what, how to deal with that in game night. <laughs> which is a t- don't do it. You also had the uh, Spartan laser, which was huge, huge anti-vehicle weapon. Yeah, right? it was It was one of the first ones that, besides the rocket launcher, is kind of the first one you get on the human side. Mm-hmm, yeah, and when it came to multiplayer, it balanced it out very, very well. Mm-hmm. And then, let's not forget the hammer. Yep. In its current form. Yeah, because initially... It was going to be more of how the Fist of Ruct resembled. But then, you know, as I said earlier, they kind of changed it over to give it its own unique look, making, you know, the Fist of Ruct a very... And that that's uh, Tartarus's hammer, in case anyone doesn't know, to give it more of, like, that's the one hammer for the Brute Chieftain himself. But yes. in the lore itself, it's been lost. No one's seen it since. Yeah, and that's fine. And what I love with lore like that, you can kind of position it however you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... One other thing that I really, really loved that they added was flame grenades. Yeah, fl- yeah flame grenades, and that was kind of like the brutish weaponry mm-hmm. that they added, uh, along with the spiker. Yeah. And and then they kind of, like, changed up the uh, the brute shot a little bit, but still overall, same great weapon. Uh, we also had vehicles, like, moving on to vehicles. They now have a collision system based on their size. So a chopper through a warthog you know, the Warhog's going to lose every time. Basically, Chopper through anything, except for, like, a Wraith or a tank. Yeah, and, and Chopper v. Chopper, Brutes always win against me. <laughs> you had the Prowler as well, which is kind of the Brute equivalent to a Warthog, and the design was uh, inspired by an anglerfish. And when you think of that, it does look like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's, like you said, it's kind of like the Warthog. It's basically snowmobile-ish, yeah, in like, a way, with like, two fins on mm-hmm. the front side, so you could have passengers with a mounted turret and a driver in the back. We also have the anti-air wraith, which was a first, and that one, you can get it through a cer- like a certain kind of glitch, but typically, if you're a guy like me who didn't know about this glitch until two days ago... You always wanted it and could never get it because if it's basically shooting fuel rod cannons, yeah, six at a time. Yeah, it's, it's basically yeah taking those fuel rod cannons and you're you're pretty much using them in the as kind of mission progressings. Mm-hmm. So it's like you take out the AA tanks and then they can either land or or do something within that mm-hmm. realm. And like you said, as you know, someone playing this for the first time, I was wanted to jump out of whatever vehicle's in to be like, I'm gonna steal this. Yeah, and you're like oh, I can't. I finally found the glitch though the other day, and I'm like, next time I play this, I'm gonna fuck everyone up with it for that small amount of time you get it (laughs) yeah we also had the elephant which is for multiplayer only Mm -hmm. still fun whenever we do our pirates mode yeah and it's it's for those of you don't know i've never played multiplayer never playing in sand trap uh it's it's a it's a huge delivery vehicle that we we start to see in four in the campaign with with the mammoth but that's like it on every kind of steroid you can think of exactly so it's kind of like the the predecessor to the mammoth 
mm-hmm. in that the elephant's a stripped down, kind of mobile combat center. It's yeah, kind of like a mobile base almost. Yeah, that that you can you can pilot around uh, sand trap, and it contains, I believe, is it a warthog or a mongoose that's on it? Either or. I can't remember yeah. off the top of my head. And, uh, uh, roast us for that. Yeah, go ahead. Because I know it's coming. And one of the coolest things with the elephant, when you flip it with a typical vehicle, it says press X to flip, you know, whatever it is. But it, with this, is press X to flip. Is How did you do that? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's such a little, little cute little Easter egg with that mm-hmm. whenever you do eventually flip your elephant. Yeah. And we also had a new scarab. Now, the, the scarab in Halo 2, you know, amongst like being different with the design alone, it was just on rails. This one was given its own AI, though, so mm-hmm. it can pick and choose who it's going to go for, which, spoiler alert, it always goes for you. There, the only way that you can actually control that is if you kill everything in the area with the Covenant and your and the Marines and the UNC. That way, if you stand at the front, it just walks whatever direction you're at. Mm-hmm. So in case you ever want to control a Scarab and not really go anywhere with it, <laughs> there you, you just go. Just if, if waste you, some time. If you learned anything from this episode... That was it. Right and there. So this is where we also learn that not only does it not look like a terrible breadbasket on legs, it is fully redesigned on how you destroy them. Mm-hmm. With the scarab that you do in Halo 2, you destroy it by just killing the command crew that's in the interior of it. You kill it by the screen fading to black. Exactly. And with this, when you destroy its butt cover, or if you jump on it, and there's basically what looks like a jackal shield almost that's kind mm-hmm. of shielding over a power core. Mm-hmm. If you destroy that, it disables it and eventually uh, detonates it. Yep, exactly. We kind of learned that it's it's made with uh, let go worms. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get that little like, oh, shit, this isn't just some kind of machine. It's a living creature, hence why we have this this AI attached to it. Yeah, that, that basically understands how to train onto you without having to have a pilot. Mm-hmm. We would also get the Hornet, which I think is the only game we play the Hornet in. We don't play it in Halo 3 ODST, and it's not in Reach. I think Halo 3 is the only game we play the Hornet, or we can drive the Hornet. Yeah. That's incredible. And it's, and it's pushing the multiplayer because now you actually have some anti-Banshee air stuff. Like, like you have mm-hmm. the human equivalent of it that has kind of both options because you have both your kind of rockets, plasma blast, mm-hmm. and then your, your turrets. Yeah. We also have the Mongoose, which Eric had told us that they had been wanting since Halo 1. Yeah, it was it was a, a design they had already concepted up. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I really love that Eric had told us was originally they wanted you to be able to drive it and then kind of hit a button to, quote-unquote, switch seats, but you're still in the driver's seat, uh-huh. to where it coasts, and you can fire from the driver's position. Yeah. So if you have a rocket launcher, you can drive up on someone, you know, quote unquote, switch your position up and fire that rocket from the front seat. So you could have almost two offensive players on it. Yeah. Because with it alone, it's nothing until like Halo 2A mm-hmm. when they put the gun goose in there. Yeah, which is still a pretty uh fantastic, dumb, amazing, <laughs> vehicle. dumb vehicle, but uh at least it's some offensive capability. But yeah, it was really cool insight to see kind of what all conceptually they had for this, and this Mm -hmm. is kind of the end result. Yeah. We would also have the Troop Hog, which is a pretty worthless variation of the Warthog. And I've I've never seen a situation where it's like, yeah, instead of having a Warthog, we'll just have three people on here with with ARs and shoot, because that's less effective than a chain gun. I mean, it would have been better if you could find an area that's just all rockets, or even just all snipers. <laughs> and you just have, like, all these just shots going off your vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we also had suicide grunts. They yep. would they would come to fruition here. We also had brute chieftains, as we mentioned. 
we would also have pure flood forms. It's the first time we would ever see them. No no hosts needed. They just pop up out of nowhere and you're fucked. Yeah, and, and so with these pure host forms, it's really cool because they can transform themselves. Yeah, you have kind of this, this crawler, you have this defense one, and then you have like this, basically like a hunter form. Yeah, it, it basically looks like a hunter. It's kind of full mass. A lot of people actually thought that for a while, that that was the hunter. And it made sense because let's say you didn't see a transformation for it, mm-hmm. or somehow you saw like a weird transformation that a hunter popped out. Because it would kind of make sense if, you know, somehow Hunter got infected and you had the whole colony kind of shift itself. Yeah. I, I will say, I think Hidden Xperia said that they, I think theoretically, Let Golo cannot be infected. And it makes sense because it'd have to have, like, infect every single one of them. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but overall they're probably just used for, like, biomass. Yes. Yeah. Like, like grunts and jackals. Yeah, but pure flood form, terrible. Uh, especially <laughs> when you're playing legendary and you have them in their little shooter form. Yeah, you're fucked. Yeah, you're fucked. Because they're shooting those, like, little calcium bullets at you and it's just not a good time and they're really, really strong. And you deal with that in Cortana, which we'll talk about here soon. But the veto system was also a new thing, which a lot of people didn't like. I do, though, because it's, like... I don't like, like, I like the option of being like, I don't want that map away with it. Yeah, it's really cool because whenever you had Danny D come in and set this entire system up, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Danny DeVito. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all podcast. And so we also had the Halo 3 engine, and this was an in-house engine created by Bungie that featured high dynamic range, global lighting, motion blurring, real-time shadows, and depth of field. Players could also see 3D objects up to 10 miles away. And they do really well with that in cutscenes. Like mm-hmm. the one where Johnson is with the Prophet of Truth, mm-hmm. and that Brute is slamming his head on the console. Mm-hmm. You have it on Johnson, and then as Prophet of Truth says, you know, like, enough, stop it, it goes back to him with that depth of field. So it really yeah. creates that story arc that we're actually seeing this cinematically and not mm-hmm. just as like this 3D kind of board of characters. Mm-hmm. Also, it was this was new is that the skulls are available on all campaigns. No more legendary guys getting all the glory and being the only ones to have the skulls. E- easy and normal boys like myself, we get those now. Yeah, because so whenever we played Halo 2 together, let's let's imagine Jesse and I play this as kids. Jesse would cry and wet his pants the entire time because he was Skull not allowed. Do? Yeah, he's not allowed to uh, get the skulls. So it was just it was tough. Um, it, it was tough, but then Bungie said, listen, no more pissing your pants. You get these skulls. Yeah, crybaby skulls. <laughs> and the last thing that was new that's very notable is the equipment. And now we actually have the official names that we can break down. We had the shield. A.K.A. Had, bubble shield. We had invincibility. A.K.A. invincibility. We had the flare. A.K.A. the stupid one that doesn't do much, but it blinds you. So it does enough. It does enough for you. It doesn't do anything for the enemies. It's annoying. Radar jammer. Again, doesn't really do much for the enemies. We had the EMP drain. We had the shield regenerator, and then we had mines. Trip mine. Yep. Oh, we also had the uh, boosts as well, or or grav lifts, however you want to call it. Boost was reach. That's dumb. Grav lift thingy. <laughs> the grav lift booster deal. Uh, yeah, so you had all that, which made it really interesting, especially because these were used, you know, differently in multiplayer as opposed to here. Because, like I said, the flare and radar jammer, uh-huh. definitely more of a multiplayer aspect or like a one-sided aspect in campaign, mm-hmm. whereas uh, in multiplayer, whichever person had it could use it against them, and the flare just kind of screwed everybody. Exactly. Or even, like, it, it really kind of changed things up 
within multiplayer. I'm not good enough to ever like have a good enough reaction time to use them properly. But it was still it's still always cool. Like I, I it's like one of those things like you got me whenever you're running towards someone and they throw a mine right in front of you and mm-hmm. you die or they throw a grav lift in front of you and you shoot up in the air and they instantly just snipe you out and it's just like it's it is it's such a cool mechanic for it because like nothing is better than throwing a bubble shield down Having someone charge in as you throw a grenade in the bubble shield to just have them detonate in there. And then you dip set out of there. Delicious. Good or in go. my case, I do that thinking I'm throwing it outside the shield. I throw it inside and stick myself. <laughs> it happens more often than not. But when I do the other thing, pretty cool. <laughs> that one in ten times when it happens. It's all matters. It's amazing. So now let's move on to the campaign. There's a lot of controversy with this campaign. I will say right from the beginning, it's very obvious that Joe Staten is not the director of cinematics. Yep. There's a, and I, I don't say that as a bad thing. With Halo Combat Evolved in 2, there was a very unique way that things were done. I still love the campaign for Halo 3, but there's definitely some changes within the dialogue and even how things are shot, what things make sense. But again, I like this campaign. It's arguably one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, and you could say argue-wise, story, how it's shot, how it's done. Mm-hmm. I think cinematically it's great. Yeah, because they were they were wanting to continue driving the cinematics. And, you know, they, they said in development, a bunch of employees said that. It's like, we, we're giving you this option now to skip the cutscenes, but we're trying to make these so captivating that you won't want to. Yeah, and I, I think, like you said, it takes a little bit away. It, take, it takes kind of the, the machismo out of, like, the whole thing of, like, every cutscene has to be, like, this, like, bloodthirsty kind of, like, war, mm-hmm. like, one-liner and make it more of, like, a really interesting story, you know, for, for everyone that's mm-hmm. not just there for, like, how cool and tough Chief is, but to kind of show, like, so many different elements of what's really going on, character deaths on screen, mm-hmm. like, a, a pretty big deal. Yeah, spoiler. Character deaths on screen. <laughs> So let's start with the first mission, Arrival, Brace for Impact. This is the mission where it starts with Master Chief falling from the night sky, and you hear that beautiful new track from Martin O'Donnell, and you can hear Cortana tell Chief, if you're not familiar with the expanded lore at all, Cortana tells Chief that she chose him because he was lucky. And then as, you know, as she says that, you crash into the, or Chief crashes into the ground. Skip forward to its daylight, and we see Johnson and a group of Marines finding him kind of like armor locked. Like his armor's locked up. Yeah, it's fully locked up from the impact. And he's just, he's a crater in the ground, essentially. And they can't really get a response from him. And so as Johnson pulls Cortana's chip out, you know, he says, heavy lift gear, we're not going to leave him. And that's when Chief wakes up and says, nope, you're not. And they kind of make a reference to why do you always jump, you know, from the Halo 2. Yeah. Chief explains that Cortana was left behind. And then we already have this campaign starting off badass because you can see the kind of the shadow of the Arbiter right there in the background. And then Chief just grabs a pistol and runs up and sticks it straight in his mouth. Yeah, so it's like right up his mandible. And then Johnson defuses the situation. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, Chief, he's with us. Yeah, and because last time they saw each other, they were enemies and... Johnson, you know, so many famous lines coming from this campaign, you know, is whenever Johnson says, we can't have you two killing yourself. And this is where Arbiter says, you know, were it so easy? Like, mm-hmm. listen, I'm not going down easy, bud. Yeah. And so then, you know, he says, brutes have our scent. Let's go. And this is where we we start Sierra 117. But before we even go in then, Master Chief in Arrival appears at the 1 minute and 17 mark in the cutscene. Because, of course, 117 has to appear at 117. 
Yeah, and it's it, I love that type of thing, which such little attention to details with that, because prior to that, you know, you have kind of Cortana giving her spiel mm-hmm. about how you know John was the one that she picked, that you know picked you because you're lucky, and like you said, it's the kind of that super flighty O'Donnell song that's kind of going uh-huh. through. It's like it's like if you if you recorded stars, that's kind of what the sound exactly feels like to me because mm-hmm. what we were doing. Yeah, and so I, I love that, and like I brought up before too, one other bit of trivia about this portion is that whenever the Arbiter says, the Brutes have our scent, Johnson has five different lines he may respond mm-hmm. with depending on the difficulty of the game you're playing. Yeah, it's like one It's like, they must love the smell of green, they must love the smell of testosterone, like, just like like they did in Halo Combat Evolved and Halo 2. Yeah, and what's great is a lot of these lines are probably test lines, just kind of go, spit, like, <laughs> yeah. spitball, just say, you know, they must love the scent of, and then throw something after it, uh-huh. and then we'll, we'll pick some. Yeah, so now we have Sierra 117, Rise Up, start the fight and this is where originally they were going to have some warthogs and vehicles but they said you know this is kind of a buffer mission so you're in a jungle out in i believe africa i could be wrong but you start going through the jungle and you're initially hiding from these phantoms spoiler alert it doesn't matter what you do they they don't react to you at all yeah because because you're going through so now that you, now you've been recovered you're going with the marines through what honestly is one of the most beautiful maps and those vid docs, they kind of talked about that. They wanted the players to start off in like a lush forest as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of these other desolate areas or just a city. Yeah, or, or a ship. Or a ship to really show off, you know, what the game can do, what the mm-hmm. environments look like. And yeah, so as you go through, you're kind of winding your way, going over uh, fallen logs and getting this really cool jungle vibe. And then you eventually come upon, well, I don't know what we call those buildings, like little t- like. Little bunkers, little bunkers, I guess. Yeah, little pillbox like, bunkers, I guess. Yeah, like some some old bunkers from a time came and went. Mm-hmm. And this is where you first encounter the Covenant for the first time in the game, and we see a, like a golden brute, brute. Yep. At least on normal difficulty, a golden brute and some grunts, and you know the fight ensues. And I will say, start of the detailed walkthrough, there's a waterfall, and if you go down on the cliff or the ledge there, you can find. The first skull, which is the blind skull. So not the first baby waterfall. I mean, this is super hashtag detailed water. There's first baby waterfall. That gets yeah. you where the dropship comes down. No, no, no. It's big waterfall, and it's to the right of big waterfall. Right of big waterfall. Hashtag detailed walkthrough. Exactly. So you're welcome. You can PayPal us, Venmo us, whatever. Because I know you couldn't find this without us. But yeah, so after going, you know, you go through, and this is where you start seeing, like, you're dropping down levels. That way you can't go backwards as you're continuing to kind of fight through more Covenant. You get your first Cortana vision. Oh, yeah, that's so fun. And this your is, first drop. Yeah, that's where she says, uh, could you sacrifice me to complete your mission? Could you watch me die? And then the Marine's like, your levels went KIA, which I think in retrospect, it's like, I don't, th- why would you write that in? Some some little things like that, it's like killed in action, Your le- so your level's flatlined. Is that what you were getting at? I... And, like, like the, the one thing you can kind of say about that and with this Cortana vision, because you see it in later scenes. I don't remember the mission. Where, where It's one of the later missions when you are going through the, and I believe it's the mission where you're going through Covenant, I think, when you're going to basically go kill Truth. Mm-hmm. And Cortana comes on, but she also comes on the display monitors to your left and right. I never noticed that, actually. I didn't either until I was playing through it again. Spoiler. Spoiler. And so one example you can get, if this is how they want to write it when it goes KIA, it could be kind of like, and this is a, this is an Alex thought. Theory. Theory. Alex Theory. Hit me with it. So you know how in 
Ghost of Onyx, they go to that kind of other forerunner realm. Mm-hmm. That could be a potential thing where she's kind of commuting, communicating through that. Uh, and if he is leaving his body, technically, and ascending... Hidden Xperia has a, a theory on it. I watched it once, but I don't think I agree with it. it, it it's it, As I said, I don't remember much, so I'm just assuming I don't agree with it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I personally was chalking it up to bad writing. I'm chalking it up to I'm saving the writers. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're part of the Writers Guild. and Yeah, so so we, we start seeing that, and, and that never stops throughout the game, and it's definitely one of the most disliked aspects of Halo 3. Because it's, it's, they could, I think it could have told the story of searching for Cortana a little better, mm-hmm. but that's just me. So, whatever. So, as you move on, uh, Johnson, you know, you split up from Johnson earlier, and Johnson tells you over the comms that there are pelicans waiting for you by the river. But after a quick firefight, banshees take them out, and your next objective is to find Johnson's crashed pelican, which, another spoiler alert, is that Johnson gets kidnapped like. F- 17 times in this damn campaign. Yeah, never get on a Pelican with Johnson because I think this happened in all of the games. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, if, just don't fly with him. Yeah, don't fly with him because then you get captured. So or yeah, dead. Yeah, so after you know this, you encounter the, the quote-unquote sniper jackals for the first time. Yeah, and this, this is really where, if you're a legendary player... This is where, you know, it starts to, starts to really come down on you. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're going through... Basically, like like an alcove woods area with various different positions of those Jekyll snipers, and if you're playing easier difficulties, they're a little bit easier. Obviously, they're not like one shotting you, but as you go through, you gotta be tactical. You gotta yeah. work it. So yeah, eventually you make your way through more Covenant after this, and then you find yourself kind of at it, it's a train station that it's at, and you and the Arbiter are watching a chieftain push Johnson into a kind of a makeshift jail. And Arbiter says, you know, this is a trap, so let's set it. So after, you know, this is the first time you actually face a brute chieftain if you don't take him out in a pelican in an earlier part of the mission. But... You can also just snipe him over there and finish it. Yeah, and this is the first time you're you're basically able to kill it, like, officially, like, how how he should have been killed. And afterwards, once you save Johnson, the rest of the Marines are dead within that jail cell. But after you you finish off everyone else, these pelicans take out these two phantoms and you make your way out of the level. And that's the end of Sierra 117. And to backtrack just a little bit, I mean, like you said, seeing the brute chieftain for the first time. And if you don't know, just to kind of snipe him out over there. And this is really the first time that you're really going against a gravity hammer. Mm-hmm. And when you when you get up to this, this kind of walkway between the, the, the dam there. Mm-hmm. and get over it, that's when you kind of first meet that brute chieftain and have to deal with him there while you have everything going on. It's a really cool moment in there. And if he turns on invincibility and you don't know about it, you shit your pants a little bit. Yeah, then you have to go out of your way to kind of dodge that as he sprints towards you because mm-hmm. he's going for you. And then one of the things that Jesse missed, which is ridiculous that he would even overstep this, is a little bit about hashtag walkthrough. Uh, the Iron Skull. Detailed walkthrough. The hashtag detailed walkthrough yes. is the Iron Skull is available here. And where it is, is behind where Johnson is captured, you climb up on some stuff, you take that stuff up even higher into the windows, and then you get the skull in that area. 
Yeah. So definitely, I know you guys just heard that, and you're like visually like, I know exactly where so it is. So you know exactly where it is. You, know, you don't <laughs> got to watch any videos on it that make it very, very easy. Mm-hmm. You'd rather just have some really bad audio retelling of it, <laughs> and that's what we're here for. Exactly. So yeah, let's move on to some additional trivia for this this uh, mission. I know we had initially said that there were supposed to be vehicles, but then they turned this into more kind of like a quote-unquote ease into mission and especially for any new players who didn't know anything about like the the physics of the vehicles at the time when it's great because it allows them like you said to kind of jump into it by fighting brutes at first so like you are fighting your kind of main enemy Mm -hmm. but you keep finding like little patches of them and kind of getting used to getting these little firefights all over so it really does make sense yeah and then also in 2008 a user uawe OT-42 issued a challenge to get into the cage at the, the train station at the very end because there's this kind of like area that's just blo- or blocked off by like bars, like a jail cell. Mm-hmm. Nine years later, Termatius Tricosity, a YouTube channel, posted the video of this challenge finally being completed. And it looks like it took a while. I didn't watch the whole video. I kind of watched like this, it, like the times, mm-hmm. the, the the sped up version. It looks very hard. I, w- I will never attempt this. What few kind of like little things I've tried in the past of breaking the map that should have been easy but were very difficult for me, this is out of my realm. I love this type of stuff, though, because, I mean, this this is what lev- led us to like sword canceling and getting outside the map. And uh, when you get to the uh, Master Chief collection within Halo 2, there's so many different map breaking areas that they rewarded the player by making achievements to go find these little dolls mm-hmm. they made of like different characters in the game. Yep. So yeah, also, you know, some more kind of easter egg stuff is that, you know, the the famous caveman family can be found in this mission. And this all started from a joke in an email chain where Mark Leto's face, he's a developer at uh, Bungie, was photoshopped onto a gorilla. So I it's still Bungie still kind of has that adolescence of like taking email chains and turning it into these Easter eggs within the game. It's great because they're just inside jokes that are making their way in. And uh, also hashtag detailed walkthrough for this. It's in the jungly part where you jump on some stuff and you have to jump across to some stuff. And then when you're there in a more open area, mm-hmm. you can see them. Exactly. So let's move on to the second mission, Crow's Nest. Clear the base, whatever it takes. So the pelican that you're on carrying Johnson and the Arbiter makes its way to Crow's Nest. And you see a group of Marines shocked at the sight of Chief, all except for one that literally is bandaged over the eyes. And what I love about this part, too, is this beginning cutscene mm-hmm. when you're coming in is like super reminiscent of Star Wars. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, of the first one, right? New yeah. Hope? Yeah, because you have the, the, the guys in the towers kind of watching you come in. Yeah, kind of watching you yeah, as the Millennium Falcon mm-hmm. kind of comes in and lands in there. And it's that same, almost the same setup, which is definitely, I'm thinking, homage. It's really great. Let's, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to think so. But yeah, so then you, you uh, Chief makes his way into the, uh, into the base and meets back up with Miranda. And, you know, you see everything's, you know, it, it's kind of seeing like the defense that's going on on Earth right now. Mm-hmm. And Lord Hood comes in on over a screen and Miranda and Hood start kind of devising the plan of, like, what Earth's going to do for this this last-ditch defense. But in that, all of a sudden, the, the whole station, the power goes down, mm-hmm. and the Prophet of Truth appears on the screen. On all the monitors that are yeah, there. Yeah, uh-huh. And this is the first time we hear that new voice actor. And it's kind of a little bit off-putting because before you had like, kind of like this – sounds like a young guy, kind of cunning. And now it kind of just sounds like an old man rambling and – 
my little gripe with that, I wish there was some kind of explanation, but oh well. Yeah, but even so, like, let's say now that he is kind of this head prophet that's dealing with Earth, he's kind of like gone insatiable with his power because he knows he's getting close to the Ark. You can yeah. just say something like that. Yeah, that's all it took, though, was a line. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Again, it's it's not going to make or break the campaign. But yeah, so afterwards, he, you know, he says, like, we're, you know, y'all are still doomed at this point. And so then that's when we learn that Crow's Nest is under attack. And this is where the mission actually, you know, finally starts. Yeah. And, and so that, that last kind of scene, you know, it brings those one-liners back because, you know, she, they're asking, like, you know, Marina asks, like, where should we go to? And she's like, to war. Yeah. She cocks, cocks the little magnum and says, yeah, to cocks, war. Yeah, cocks it back, gets it going. So to start this off, a little bit of that hashtag detailed walkthrough, uh, this is where you can find the black eye skull. Mm-hmm. And so to find this, whenever you start the level on this left side, you see some air vent stuff and yeah. You know, things up there that go into ceilings. So what you do is you climb the first set of staircases, jump on top of a container, jump on to the first set of ceiling thingies, then jump onto the big air duct and then walk down and the skulls there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hashtag get to walk through. Yeah. So, so after you get that and you get all your skulls set, this is where you, you kind of kit up and you can mm-hmm. first kind of select your weapons because mm-hmm. you go down the base, you can pick between, you know, your battle rifle, your assault rifle, your magnums, your SMGs and get kitted out. Mm-hmm. And walk your way through this bunker where Marines are kind of setting up. Mm-hmm. This is one of those first levels that really, really pushes that backtracking idea mm-hmm. of creating like one linear level, but having you go to different areas. Yeah. Because your main three ish areas are your control center, the hangar, and kind of the tunnels and everything in between. Yeah. It. Yeah. So, yeah, you make your way out, you make your way through down, you know, some highway tunnels um, to assist what's going on in the hangar. And along the way, you fight your grunts, you fight your brutes, and you come to the door that leads towards where the hangar is. Yeah. And this is where you first see some troublesome jackals in there as well, because you have some yeah. sniper jackals down that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. but after you make your way through there, that's when you find yourself in that first like hangar or LZ, mm-hmm. and you have to clear that. It's the first time we see the mounted turrets, too. Yeah. So it's uh, you, you, clear, you clear the LZ out for them, and then you're reported now that you have to come, and then instantly it's like, okay come back to the control center now and you make your way back. Yeah, and one of the cool things that, uh, you know, on your way, if you go off the beaten path in Mm -hmm. kind of the highway-ish area, so I believe if you go left from there, uh, you can get an Easter egg from the Rooster Teeth team, uh, which, depending on the difficulty, the conversations will be different, kind of like with Johnson. And they have have different characters. Yeah. Different different people from Rooster Teeth. Yeah, but, but I believe it's Gus behind the door who's, like, not letting this Marine in because that Mm -hmm. Marine needs a password. And... Like, all that kind of dialogue changes, and that Marine Mm -hmm. never gets the password. Yeah, it's it's all kind of the basic thing, though, of just, like, a Marine's trying to get in, and another Marine is just like, well, you don't have the password. And it's all, like, a different explanation as to why they don't have it. Yeah, and and it's just, like, it's just a fun Easter egg that, you know, brought the Rooster Teeth guys in, because, you know, obviously, with them having red versus blue and Mm -hmm. being, you know, a big push... For a lot of people to play Halo, uh-huh. you know, a lot of them in there, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And by the way, we will be doing a Red vs. Blue episode. We we get asked that probably once a week. If we're doing a Red vs. Blue episode, we absolutely will be doing yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's in the chamber. Research has been started. We just have a couple things that we want to try and figure out before we try and really push the logistics on that. Mm-hmm. We really want to make sure that it is icing on the cake for you yeah. guys. So, so after you deal with Gus and Jeff, uh, <laughs> you, you make your way back towards the command center because... 
Miranda's, you know, calling you back, saying, mm-hmm. you know, having trouble down this way. And so, yeah, so on your way to the control center, uh, you make your way back into that room that I was saying the Marines were preparing in. Mm-hmm. And you have a Marine just be like, what's up, Chief? How's it going? I'm looking through this this window here. Yeah, so it's a cage kind of. Yeah. Cage, so, like chicken wire. Chicken wire, basically. You can't shoot through. But, yeah, so he's standing there and then down drops a drone. Uh-huh. And they tries to pick him up. And you could save this guy if you, you shoot that drone. But yeah, drones start flooding in through mm-hmm. this burst air duct. Because you kind of heard before when you're making your way back, this Marine's like, yeah. oh, I can kind of hear something yeah, going on. Yeah, they're, they're kind of like hinting. Yeah, and this is the first time we see drones within Halo 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so once you take them out, you make your way back to the control center where the mission started. And now we see a big-ass bomb in the center. And Miranda, I like Miranda tells uh, Johnson to put out his cigar, which I think in retrospect, like, no, yeah, but it just kind it's of like, like an atom bomb that it needs a detonator. Like, put yeah, that out. Yeah, she's like, oh, put 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 that bomb out or put that cigar put out. Put that bomb out. Yeah, put that bomb. That too. But yeah, so she, you know, she now says, you know, we, we're, you know, the, we're gonna blow the space, so everyone needs to get out of here. But then Johnson also tells you that brutes have made their way into the barracks, and he's like, they, you know, what they do to prisoners. So you have to make your way then through you. You kind of go towards where you went the for that first path, but you change yeah. it up a little. Bit. Yeah. So instead of going downstairs where you got mm-hmm. your weapons and started going through uh, mm-hmm. that area, you actually go upstairs where there's uh-huh. another door to go through. Yeah. And in uh, within within all of this happening, we see Cortana again as you're making your way through kind of these tunnels, and Cortana appears and says, "You will be called upon to serve." Everything's stopping now within these tunnels. As you have to drop down to a lower base. Yeah, so so the first one you drop down is just where Cortana starts. Yeah, and then the second one, this will be hashtag detailed walkthrough, you have to kind of push yourself towards the wall, and you'll find yourself in a little room. There you'll find the grunt birthday skull. Yeah, you have to you have to inch off, and then like before you fall all the way down, there's a tiny little duct, I guess, Yeah, and it's in there. Yeah, so afterwards you meet up with the Arbiter and fight through the base and make your way to the barracks saving the Marines. This is the first time you hear that, that Brute theme song or the, the Brute track that plays there. Mm-hmm. And we see that that uh, that yellow Brute Chieftain for the first time. This is actually a really, really fun part of the mission. It's probably my favorite part of this mission. Yeah, and so as you're, you're fighting your way through this to kind of make your way back again mm-hmm. uh, to kind of the center point as you're going through these kind of winding, they're all kind of barracks, I guess, as, as you go through, because mm-hmm. this is also where you brought up before, you can do multiple paths that take you to the end, because mm-hmm. you can jump up into the air ducts yeah. and kind of worm your way around and either drop down on, on some brutes from above or go into like the shower areas, another part you can kind of jump in and safely knock some brutes out and continue yeah, yeah, your way yeah. along. Um, to get to the end, and like you said, and fight a chieftain, I think at kind of each end point, which is kind of like a yeah. level progression for it. Yeah, it's and it's also, you know, the, the chieftains, this is when you see the yellow one with the kind of like V headdress, it's really cool. Yeah, so afterwards you make your way into an elevator with what Marines you were able to save if you're on normal, and then you make your way up into an elevator and into kind of that dock where you first landed in the cutscene in the mm-hmm. mission, and this is where we see jetpack brutes for the first time. Mm-hmm. And fight them. Afterwards, once you kind of get done with them, which is actually kind of a really fun fight to to do, I really enjoyed that part. You now have to make your way back to the control center because Johnson is like, "Hey, um, for the seventeenth time so far, I fucked up and they <laughs> overran us. Yeah, we lost that. Now we lost this. Uh, bombs deactivated, by the way. Yeah, bombs deactivated, and brutes have the control center. Mm-hmm. So then you have to make your way in the control center. I like if you sneak in there, the prophet of truth is talking to the brute chieftain there, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Until like the second you interrupt it, then he disappears. But to hear the conversation, it, I don't 
think that's probably the only time we can kind of see truth within real time actually interacting with another character. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. But once you take out all the brutes in that area, then you have to activate the bomb with uh, Johnson's cigar and then you make your way. <laughs> yeah. Now you have you to turn make... it in, twist it, and it goes <laughs> bomb armed. Yeah. So then all of a sudden the whole place is shaking and the, the bomb is armed. So then you have to make your way back through the original path that you did at the very beginning of the mission, back to that kind of loading dock. Yeah. And this is where kind of, and this is kind of where they first start that like screen shaking, everything kind of going off, mm-hmm. lights flickering. Cause you make your way in and there's just a bunch of grunts in there. That when you first open the door, like they're super surprised, but then there's like uh-huh. no one tries to engage you for the most part. They're all running away. They're all running away because you're making your way to the hangar to uh, get out of there. Yeah, and once you do, you know, you do make your way into the hangar. As you make your way into that elevator, Cortana appears, saying, "This place will become your home. This place will become your tomb." And the screen fades to black as you see fire above consume you in the room. Now, some some cool trivia about this is that. The alarm sounds that go off in the base are the same alarm sounds in uh, Halo Combat Evolved Pillar of Autumn mission. Hey. I think, so a little callback, like lots of little parallels that they're really trying to bring you back from their roots. I like it. They're, they're uniform with alarm sounds. I enjoy it. I mean, the budget was low, so it's like, how can we reuse some assets here? No, it's, it's yeah, the budget <laughs> was very low. No, it's great. I, I, I love little stuff like that. Like you said, it's a callback, but it's also just kind of like, that's our alarm sound. It's cool. Let's move on to the third mission, Savo Highway. Mount up, get to Voy. So you you wake up in a garage and you see that it's just like some stuff's on fire. Like basically the, the bomb did what it was supposed to, which was fuck everything up. So then, and I think it's the first time you hear Nathan Fillion. Oh, no, you hear him in, in the first mission. But mm-hmm. Nathan Nathan's Fillion who is just an unnamed Marie, you know, tells everyone, mount up, Chief, Chief's going to lead the way. So you get on some war dogs, and a Marine opens up the the, the bay door, so, I guess. So you have to, as I've learned, because I love this line, because if you just mount up, like, people just kind of wander around, but if mm-hmm. you go hit it, you have Nathan Philly goes, Chief knows what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then you go, and then you go hop into a warthog, mm-hmm. and... Start the first of a few Warthog missions. Yep, and this is the first vehicle mission, mm-hmm. actually. This one, this mission, I will say, there's nothing to me that stands out super unique about it. It has some unique points, but it's a vehicle mission, so a lot of it is it's more, like, very open, so you're just trying to get through places. There's not as many, like, stop-and-go points. So, so for me, it's kind of hard to, like, really have this one stick out as, like, a more unique mission. I, I really enjoy it, though, because, one, it's very beautiful, mm-hmm. and it really shows off the first vast scale that they put into it. Now, mm-hmm. granted, if you see the overview, a lot of it's, like, this and kind of curvy like a snake. As, as it goes through? As the finger motion you were just making. Yeah, yeah, that's why I tell Jesse it's like a snake. <laughs> because we're so visual here. And you start to see destruction of, like, the base and other stuff mm-hmm. around you that's kind of, like, dictating your path. Yeah, because you're in a kind of a tunnel system, and then you make your way out into the, the opening. Yeah, you basically exit out from kind of the entrance to what the base would be, and that's when you first run into some jackals and some grunts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then as so. you, Yeah, and then as you make your way out, you hit, like, little pockets, like, there's... You know, like the, the, the sniper towers that have mounted turrets on them, mm-hmm. little pockets of, of grunts with some brutes. And you pretty much do all of this up until you come to part of the highway that is broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, there's also points where, like, there's, uh, there's, there's vehicle barriers. They have to stop, get out, and then bust through it, and then get back in and go. So as, as you make your way to your first barrier, 
that's on the highway. So there's these uh, like like cement blocks. You kind of see on like a highway that divides a highway today mm-hmm. that are blocking it. So you have to get out of the Warthog with your Marines. You go across a little broken section, and you come across a Marine encampment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of up in the hill in some bunkers yeah. that we see that they're defending. And it fight off the, the waves of, it's kind of like a firefight sequence. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a firefight semblance to it. It starts off with like, you know, like a neutral wave of like mm-hmm. regular brutes with some regular kind of grunts. And this is where we first get to use the fuel rod cannon here. So you kind of mm-hmm. beat down a brute that has it, snag that up, and uh, defend it. Yeah. Go through a couple waves, and you get like a higher chieftain to come out, and then eventually a wraith will come out. Mm-hmm. Or skip all of that and just walk <laughs> past it, and then you come to a field where you have one of the sniper tower things, a wraith, and two brute choppers. Mm-hmm. And if you take the guy down who has the fuel rod cannon, you can go ahead and just kind of make quick work of that wraith tank mm-hmm. and either ignore the choppers or deal with them, and then you make your way out and through. This is where we see that that uh, vehicle barrier that they have to go through and kind of destroy the generator, right? And actually, before you go through that, there's kind of that pipeline right next to it. If you jump over that, and there's kind of like a rock ledge trail behind it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because you can, there's like a little, uh, almost like toll boothy building that's big. Yeah. And you can find like some equipment in there. You can find some trip mines, some other stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so you can jump on the pipeline. And like it, you said, there's like an outcropping to the left mm-hmm. that you jump down on. You'll jump down to another section where the mm-hmm. skull's back there. Yep, the tough luck skull. Mm-hmm. It'll be on the ledge. So, yeah, afterwards, you 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 take that, that vehicle barrier, like shield, that giant shield, and you have to make your way farther, um, fighting off more waves of Covenant. And I think this is the point where you... I think you first see them, or you like you go in this giant field, and there's like those wraiths and those. T- there's like two wraiths and like three or four brute choppers around mm-hmm. the end of the highway, and that's a really fun part to actually go through and fight all that. It's challenging too. Yeah, because sorry, I was getting both together. Because yeah, this is where you can jump down and get the brute choppers and make your way around, and like mm-hmm. you said, like deal with the choppers that are going around, deal with some gun turrets and things like that, and mm-hmm. then the two wraiths that you're more than likely you want to steal. Yeah. To make your way down the ho- the highway to where mm-hmm. the brutes have kind of set up this, the same concrete barriers you had to jump past when your warthog can get through. Mm-hmm. They have that set up. And this is where you're told to smash through the barrier. Yeah. And you and if you really, really try and you're really persistent, you can get that wraith through those those kind of cement barriers. Yep. And yeah. And, and there's like a crash pelican there. You take out all the brutes there. And this is where we kind of see the end of the mission. And you, have, you do have to destroy the barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you destroy that shield barrier. At the very end. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you finally defeat. The, there's a chieftain there, and you defeat that. And then that's when a pelican comes down with Miranda. And, you know, now we see that the the fight for the Ark, or at least, spoiler, we they don't know it's the Ark at the time, this kind of portal. Yeah, because— Or they, 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 they do think this is the Ark. Yeah, because at this point, the destroyed uh, Numambasa— is pretty much a huge crater of—it's a dig site. Like, the mm-hmm. whole thing is just torn out, and you just see— um, what we we will see is the arc in the center with kind of like all of these different you know forerunner tech that kind of yeah. helps it. Yeah. So they think they think that this is the arc, and they're like, we're going to make our way towards the arc and fight for mm-hmm. it. So this mission was actually supposed to be a lot longer, but due to production issues, it was shorter, which I'm kind of thankful for because, as I said, it is kind of very lengthy and it, to me a bland mission. But I'm not complaining too much. It does have some fun parts. I love it because one of my favorite aspects of 
the Halo games specifically, especially playing with friends, are the vehicle missions. Mm -hmm. They did vehicles so well in this, and it's so much fun playing with friends to kind of jump in that. It's like, and you can strategize. Are we all taking choppers? Are we getting this Warthog and taking it, you know, all the way we can go with it? You Mm -hmm. know, what are we doing with this? It was just a really fun vehicle mission that introduced those choppers to play around with. Uh And they give you plenty of options to work with that. And like you said before, with the vehicle mass... Is like you can run down those ghosts, no problem. Mm-hmm. Chopper v chopper, you got to be pretty good with it. Yep. And then the re- like the tanks, you can't, but you can still ramp off of stuff. You can play around with it. Yeah. And you know, with our talk with Eric, he's one of the, he's the original one that kind of thought up the brute chopper mm-hmm. and kind of brought it into fruition with what it is today. And you know, with our talk on with him on that, which is really insightful to kind of see what all went into the build on that and to mm-hmm. make it still feel like brutish yeah exactly or they kind of say it's like a chop like some developers said it, it kind of felt like a chop shop machine mm-hmm. like some forerunner tech but with just some scraps thrown on it exactly yeah so let's move on to one of my favorite missions in this game is the storm reclaim the city make a hole so the mission starts it's kind of like rainy and you're riding with a battalion of warthogs with squads of marines in them mm-hmm. so i like already have like kind of this battle mentality and you hear Miranda says that uh, Truth has found the Ark, or what they think is the Ark, and your mission is to clear all the anti-air guns so the UNSC can attack him from the air, kind of just barrage him. So you make your way to this this structure, and of course all the Marines are like, go ahead, Chief, we'll follow you. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, and this is another one of those missions, not necessarily wash, rinse, repeat, but uh, kind of, but kind of, because you kind of you get to these checkpoints that look very similar, mm. because as you open it to the left, you can kind of go up the stairs and to kind of like a command post, I guess the best way to describe it, with some glass yeah. you can walk through. Literally glass you could walk through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. And it's almost like a, like a, a prologue or like a training mission to what to do. Because like, all right, chief, push that button, open the doors, let us through. Yep. And uh, to get that started. Yeah, and you, you make your way, you're going through kind of these, you're going through buildings and tunnels. So mm-hmm. the first building, you go through this first building, you mount up with these Marines, and after you fight some Covenant, and you go to attack the first Wraith, an anti-air Wraith, on kind of this beach. Mm-hmm. Which, and this is the first time we see the anti-air Wraiths, correct? Yes. Yeah, so it, th- that cool machine that you see you're like i can't wait to get in that and then bungie's like nope and yeah and at this point uh so if you're able to you bring the warthog through mm-hmm. and then it, they also give you two ghosts to use before you can kind of jump out there so it yeah. gives you the mobility because the best thing to do is as soon as you leave to the left there's a group of grunts and a brute that's just kind of running away yeah kind of running and you, you just gotta plow them down and you always get to go for them mm-hmm. i will say i did not like the physics of the ghosts before halo reach because it's like if you try to get to a sharp turn you can't with that i'm glad like within reach they kind of like change that up yeah little little, little tweaks yeah so as well as like on the beach there's this kind of silo or it's like kind of like this water tank off to the right that is where you can get the catch skull uh, there's a lot more details that go into that. Like you need to get it before you kill those wraiths, because yes. if you because if, if you kill those wraiths, it disappears. If the anti-air wraith dies, you cannot get it. Um, and the ways to get it, you have to go on top. Uh, you have to wedge a warthog in there and ride a ghost up it, or kind of grenade jump explosion off of it. Nothing I will ever do. So yeah, it's sorry. Yeah, you just got to make sure that you don't kill that anti-air wraith. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, it'll despawn. Yeah, but so after you do that, you kill the anti-air wraith, all the ghosts, and the regular wraith, you go into kind of that wash, rinse, repeat sequence. You go into that same kind of building. This is where you see a chieftain, and mm-hmm. you know, instead of like, they're all kind of there waiting for you. So you fight through a chieftain and the rest of these brutes, 
And then as you make your way down into this new kind of open area, we see drones coming again. Mm -hmm. And once you fight through them, you open up a tunnel. And this time you have a bunch of Marines on Warthogs with rockets. Yeah. And and this is the fun ass part. Oh, yeah. Because this is where, like, you know, you you kill off anything that's there and, like, you see that there's a bunch of mongooses. Mongoose. Yes. Yes. The mongoose, as, you know, like, as. Ducks fly together, geese ride together. <laughs> um, as you get to your mongooses, uh, yeah, you notice that like a lot of them are strapped with guys with rocket launchers just chilling on the back waiting mm-hmm. for you. And you're, which, by the way, always drive, never let a marine drive because you will flip off the edge of the the cliff or the beach. Always, yes, and it's fun to try that because the AI doesn't understand like the driftiness of it. So they'll try and like stop and turn, and then mm-hmm. you'll just kind of skid and just flop over the Halo side. Halo Three AIs when it comes to driving are abysmal. Absolutely abysmal. I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) So you make your way onto the beach, and you do what you did last time. You take out the anti-air wraith, you take out the regular wraith and some ghosts, and you do this kind of prolonged battle for a minute. Yeah, you've got some choppers, you've Mm -hmm. got kind of a little bit of whatever the Covenant can throw at you, you've got some dropships that drop even more down. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of gets quiet, and then all of a sudden... A scarab shows up, and this is the first time we see the scarab uh, in Halo Three, mm-hmm. and it is really kind of intimidating because I-, I like the idea more that it crawls over buildings instead of goes through them because it's like it's more nimble, it's more I don't know, it's kind of like mischievous that way. Like the well, fact that it can make its way through almost kind of silently, and like you said, it- it's more living, and instead of being like a- like a, a working machine, because mm-hmm. like when they're just like. Using it as a machine or a tank, you just plow through stuff to get to the next thing. Mm-hmm. But if it can kind of almost think, it yeah. knows to like kind of creep over so you have high ground and you know all these other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in this mission, you can do what everyone should do is there's kind of this like small elevator there. Just get on top of the elevator and jump onto the scarab. That's what I always do. Yeah, so you have various options with it and you kind of learn the mechanics. So you can mm-hmm. do that. And up that elevator, you also find a sniper rifle mm-hmm. and then you. I typically take the rockets from one of the Marines, so you kind uh-huh. of have that kit going in. Or, like we announced a little earlier, you have some of those missile pods mm-hmm. set up. Once destroyed, but once mounted. If you go on the mounted one, you can actually lock onto the legs. Mm-hmm. So in Halo 3, if you are able to take out enough damage on a leg, it actually disables it, and it crouches down yeah. enough for you to jump in. But if you don't do it in a timely manner, it'll actually recover. Yeah, that's a new way to do it. Just get on the elevator and jump on top. Yes. And I want to say a good 40% of the time I always miss. So, but you know, it's a learning curve. We 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 all got to yeah, start somewhere. Yeah, quote unquote learning curve. <laughs> 12 years later. So yeah, you you do eventually, you have to go into the butt and take out the shield and take out the, the core. Mm-hmm. And of course you have to get off the scarab because if you're anywhere near it and it explodes, it kills you. That's also something like people don't realize. Like, oh, I'm going to stand by this and watch the explosion. And then it takes you out. So always stay away from it. I guess I'm talking to our presumed first-time Halo 3 players. Yeah, he's talking to all the Jessies out there. (laughs) If you don't understand what explosions do, talk to Jesse. (laughs) So yeah, afterwards you make your way into this kind of storage unit where you then see kind of these Marines kind of like battle damage from a fight that just happened. Yeah, so this is kind of where like the sick and battered not sick. I mean, you know what? If you had a cold, you went there as well. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they, they were kind of defending this doorway. So they were kind of like the last resort, I guess, mm-hmm. if they were to try and get through. Um, you get shotguns here. So that's always fun. That is true. This is where you can get the shotgun, which is mm-hmm. 
pretty good. It's better than the shotgun in two, I would yeah. say. And you fight a shit ton of brutes here going yeah. through the storage container. You fight a lot. But I like is there's some some kind of like uh, dock workers like in their hard hats running away, but some are helping you. And this is, is this the first time, is it the first time that we see civilians in a game helping? Possibly. Possibly. Do not quote me, but if you do, you're probably going to roast me, so whatever. I think maybe in Halo 2, but for sure this mission. For sure this is the mission where they're not necessarily even dressed as Marines or like like personnel. I would say anyone outside personnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That this is the first time we see like dock workers helping. Yeah, yeah, they just they're they're helping you, but then eventually some hunters make their way and this is the first time we see hunters and then they realize they're pretty useless at this point. Mhm. But yeah, you you take take the two hunters out and then you see this kind of like more of the 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 area where all this this storage units are outside. Yeah, cuz it opens up. And and this is kind of leading into what a lot of Halo does. You're seeing not to spoil as we keep talking, you're seeing this level from a, let's say, clean point of view, mm-hmm. where you're going through and you're seeing the level in this aspect before you have to turn back around in this level. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and to go back just a little bit, Cortana, of course, has to pop in, slow your roll down a bit when you're with them. Of course. Because and state, and states, why not? Of course. And states, I am your shield. I am your sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then eventually you you kill this chieftain and the rest of his brutes mm-hmm. and you make your way to that anti-air gun, the big one. And I think it's the first time we see that within it's, this it, too. Yeah. It's the first time you see something that's not a tiny wraith at this point mm-hmm. comparative. It's, it's a big anti-air uh, gun. And then you, you kill all the surrounding covenant and you take it out. There's kind of like this core that appears when it fires. Yeah. So then- after you take that out, the cutscene comes in. And this is one of the coolest cutscenes that you've seen so far. Is you see all of a sudden these long swords and all these ships make their way towards that forerunner dreadnought and you hear the dun, 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 yeah, I was gonna say this is this is where really where you think like, oh we're winning. You're like, dude, like hell yeah. And as the you know, they're all firing, but then all of a sudden a portal opens and it mm-hmm. blasts everyone back and you see the UNSC ships kind of just drifting off. Yeah, because you're having everything from those those long swords to all of like your battleships and carriers that were firing their Mac guns. They're just like mm-hmm. almost if you turn gravity off. They have, like, mm-hmm. no gravity. And they're just floating through space. Yeah, and so then all of a sudden you see, like, everyone's just kind of, like, it's like, wow, we just have, we just suffered an L because then you hear Hood say, what did Truth just, just do? Did he activate the rings? And Miranda says no. And you see the Covenant make their way into this portal. Mm-hmm. So as they're getting ready to follow, all of a sudden a Covenant ship comes out of slip space and you can see that there's something. It's got this. It's pretty stanky. Gr- yeah, greenish kind of mist coming off of it. And Arbiter says, "What is it? More brutes?" And Chief says, "Worse." Mm-hmm. So then we know. Okay, now we're gonna see the flood, and that's the end of this mission. And now we start Floodgate. Stop the infestation. Find Cortana. And you go back just slightly. I'm gonna keep putting Cortana in this, just so we know how much Cortana talks to us. You know, as as that ship crash lands you know down onto earth you know Mm -hmm. down to that warehouse facility that you kind of came from you know before as that screen goes you know black from it you know katana then states this is the way the world ends Mm -hmm. and that that line holds some bearing that we will talk about then our part two episode of this spoiler if you haven't read the title by now this is part one of part two yeah so so like I said, with, with the interviews we've done, with everything, we wanted to give you guys as much info as possible. So this first episode will be the before, the middle, and the campaign of kind mm-hmm. of like how this game came about. Mm-hmm. And our second episode will be... Uh, everything me- else, yeah. The the uh, the meat and potatoes of the everything else. Yeah. 
So then we start to make our way back towards that storage shed. And how you can get the fog skull here is off in the distance in the buildings, you're going to see this, this flood combat form jump. You have to kill that. And if you kill it, that skull will fall and enter the street. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get it. So this is definitely, I've always tried to kill that thing. I've never been able to, but better players than I have succeeded where I failed. So 99% of other people who've played it got skull. <laughs> no, if, if you know it, yeah, you'll see them kind of jumping in the rooftops. So mm-hmm. just be trained on that because um, it, it can't slip away. And that's the only way to get it. It's similar to how if you kill the anti-air wraith, it despawns. Mm-hmm. If you don't kill these guys, the skull doesn't drop. Yeah, so then you have to restart. But yeah, so then as you make your way back towards the storage unit, there's kind of this almost ramp going down. You see Marines standing there. That's all all of a sudden when a horde of flood come down and infect them. And now we have to fight the flood for the first time. Yep. And now, so that clean version we had, Mm -hmm. we're now going with the stinky flood version. Yep, stinky flood. Going back out the way we came in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you're making your way, you make your way uh, into the storage shed from kind of this side area, and you see a Marine. This is where we see a Marine actually get attacked by pod infectors and infected and turned into a combat form, which is cool. It is. But if, if you're good, it doesn't happen. Oh, bullshit. That always happens. No, it does not. I'll, we'll talk about this later. I'll put $5 on it. Deal, because I just <laughs> did it. <laughs> but yeah, so then, um, well, well, I like it's even like mid-transformation, you can kill it. It's not like this static thing. Like, there's like several stages that happen, which was really, really cool to see within like the new kind of div- like the new things they featured in this game yeah and, and you can do that with any of of the uh, flood bodies that have fallen because here's the thing mm-hmm. too not only can you know fallen brutes elites and uh humans be infected but so can fallen flood that's not destroyed yep so that's why it's like you torch them or you have to like if you see some body parts they're sometimes moving and uh kind of those pod infectors can go in like reanimate them yeah so you just got to beat them and then they break yeah so then you make your way through that giant storage shed again you see some brutes kind of fighting them off but all eventually getting infected so instead of going the traditional route you have to go in kind of this office building and go down and as you go down a message from cortana appears again and she's kind of in distress and she says chief i can't tell you it cuts off and she says it's not safe the grave mind it knows i was and then it cuts off again so now it's not these weird cryptic messages. Now we're seeing Cortana distressed or like in pain. Yeah. And now because like the whole thing was like, why would the flood? We will learn. Why did the flood come so far out this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so once you make your way out, you hear Halfjaw's voice come over the comm and some drop pods come in. And now we're we're fighting with elites for the first time. Yeah. And, and, and this is where we, you know, this is where Halfjaw's like, you know, like we'll handle that down there. You get you know, to the point you have to go. Mm-hmm. So you have the option. You can jump down right away and mm-hmm. fight with the elites, or you can be smart and just take the walkway yeah, and skip most like, of it. Nah, son, I don't want to do that. And, and this is where we, we foresee pure forms. It is. Right? And, and, and right before you get to that, if you do make your way all the way down, uh, it's that same exact lift that you took to get the sniper. Mm-hmm. There's a sword there. A sword, I, a sword, I did not know that. Sword and a plasma rifle. Good to know. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll remember that the next time I play this for whatever reason. But yeah, so then <laughs> we, we see that the elites are talking and they're like, how did this uh, How did this ship get through our all our hundreds of ships? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the elites says uh, to the Arbiter, like, they're evolving. Mm-hmm. So now we're seeing how, like, they're working this ship and making their way through. And they're now on Earth and everyone's kind of shitting their pants over it. Even the elites. Yeah, which, which is, is huge for people who, you know, before could say, you know, like we can best this we have energy mm-hmm. weapons we have energy swords like we can handle all this and we have energy shields mm-hmm. all energy all the time yeah. and uh 
and so yeah, for for that to like really happens is 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 tough. Mm-hmm. And so after after we fight the combat forms and everything, we get actually to the crashed ship mm-hmm. and make our way in. And this, as soon as we kind of step in and get through, mm-hmm. you know, this is where we have Gravemind in us now. Yeah, so now we're we're dealing with that annoying shit from Cortana now to Gravemind, where the, ski, the screen kind of gets skewed and it goes green. Yeah, so instead of just having Cortana come across, we get a big old fat FOV change yeah. and some green slime stuff. And he says, do not be afraid. I am peace. I am salvation. And and you're, you're going into the ship not only to destroy it, but because you learn that Cortana's in there. Yeah. Johnson comes over the comments and says, Cortana's in that ship. You need to go get it. So you go in there and you make your way to this kind of this podium. Well, actually, the grave mine also says to you, I am a timeless chorus. Join your voice with mine and sing victory everlasting. Yeah. And this is the first level, I believe, you get to uh, go through some sphincters. Yeah, you go through those very infamous flood sphincters. But, flood buttholes. Yeah, you you are the poop that comes out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you make your way to this this glowing podium and you and this is where Cortana is. And you and all of a sudden you you grab this kind of PSP. Yeah, you grab this PS this purple covenant PSP. And all of a sudden 343 comes down and kind of like starts zapping. It's like I need I need to fix your construct and Chief's like, hold up. Last time I saw you, you tried to kill us. And he says, nah, that was foolish of me. Like, you still killed the Flood. I now serve you. So you guys, mm-hmm. you and 343 make your way into this pelican. And then in the background, you can see just the the, the elites glassing the continent mm-hmm. because of the, the Flood outbreak that's happening. So while they're on the ship, 343, it, it, the, on the ship, it's in a room. It's half-job, Miranda, 343, Guilty Spark. Hood, Chief, and the Arbiter. And they're standing around this table as uh, 343 Guilty Spark is trying to repair Cortana. And then they learn it's not actually Cortana. It's a message. Mm-hmm. But she says, you know, listen, the, the grave mind knows about the Ark. That's why he's making his way to Earth to get through this portal. She says, but there's a solution on the other side of the Ark. And I like we see some tension now between everyone because Hood's like, we're going to stay here. Like We Cort- defend Earth. Yeah. yeah, Cortana's clearly crazy. And half jaws like no, like the f- if you don't fight the flood, have one. And even Chief steps in and says, "Cortana has a solution. I'm going to go find it." Yeah, and and this is where we start to see the tension between Hood and Halfjaw, who they kind of have that like we're one in the same type thing, just mm-hmm. kind of on different sides. And Hood says, "You know, like you're glass in half the continent. Like like what mm-hmm. are you doing?" And he goes, "If you keep the flood here, like they'll wipe the species out." And he mm-hmm. said, "You know, if the arbor didn't stop me." I would have just glassed your world. Yeah. So, like, you, you see that tension, but they still have to work with each other because they know, like, overall the Covenant are evil and the Flood are evil. Mm-hmm. So within the next cutscene, we see the elites and the UNSC banding up together. And, you know, Arbiter's carrying some UNSC weapons to the elites, and Johnson's carrying some of the Covenant Car- weapons over to the UNSC. And, like, even the elite see Johnson carrying their weapons, and they kind of, like, stand almost like attention. Yeah, it's it's such a cool scene, because they're, they're in, like, the bay of the Covenant ship. And so, yeah, you're seeing, like, mm-hmm. there's Covenant vehicles, there's UNSC vehicles. Yeah, Johnson's carrying over some carbines and mm-hmm. a beam rifle. And, yeah, like, both sides are like, whoa, whoa, are we we're actually yeah. working together type thing? Yeah, and, they can't, they kind of can't believe it, but they have to. Yeah. And, and then that's when uh, we see Hood leave on a pelican mm-hmm. kind of saying because hood, people do have to stay behind to defend earth because there's still his covenant on earth yeah and and, and he is the face of it so mm-hmm. like he has to kind of be there for it mm-hmm. and then yeah so they all these covenant ships go through the portal and they go on to the next mission so now we're at the next mission the ark 
Search the Waste for the Cartographer. And this is also one of my favorite missions. I love this mission. This mission is so damn fun. Oh, oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I see why you like it. Why do I like it? Because it's lame. <laughs> no, 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 no. I really enjoy this mission, too, because, once again, you get a cool-ass vehicle mission. It's, it's a vehicle mission, but there's also a, a good amount of, like, not having to be on a vehicle because there's a lot of corridor spaces. So you just, you hate vehicles. I enjoy vehicles. I see where we are. No, 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 no. I, I, if the vehicle mission is boring, Assault on the Control Room, then yes. Hell, <laughs> <El> touche. <laughs> so yeah, the elite ships appear above this. We don't know it at the time, but it's the Ark. Mm-hmm. And we hear like, you know, the famous line, the, br- the brute ships out number us three to one. It's like, then it's an even fight. Yeah. Or fair fight or whatever. I know, I know Skyjackal yelled us for that. But, and then as that fight is ensuing, Chief uh, is in a Pelican with Johnson and some ODST and they learn that truth is on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this mission this whole entire time is to kill truth because no truth, no covenant. So you make your way down. And I like that you can see, like, once you get out of the Pelican, you can see the Milky Way out in the distance, which is pretty cool. To, like, even, like, uh, ODST, like, points it out. It's like, is that is that the, you know, like, look at that. And they're like, hey, snap back at it. But, yeah, so you make your way on the ground and you get a sniper rifle and you sneak your way up and you start battling the Covenant there. Mm-hmm. Once you make your way through that these first initial waves, you make your way through some caves and you see the, the they, they're starting to make another anti-air wraith or anti-air gun. Yeah. And, like, as you start fighting everyone, there's a phantom with like the the gun on it that kind of flies away. Like I like, like Yeah, it was like placing details. the top yeah. of it, which is really cool because you had those jackal snipers mm-hmm. kind of around the perimeter of it. Mm-hmm. So this is another area where you kind of have to deal that if you don't play it on normal. So then you eventually fight through more covenant, kind of like another wave, and you make your way inside this this forerunner structure. And then as you make your way out the back of it, there's a marine waiting there for you because there's a bunch of covenant surrounding this kind of crashed pelican Mm -hmm. so you go down there and you take them all out this is the first time you see the prowler come in or there's actually two prowlers yeah yeah because you're you're in the dunes and you go to this crashed pelican where you can get like sniper rifle rockets you know all type of stuff and they'll come in and shoot at you and basically their their thing is they come in and dock not dock i mean they come in and park yeah because if they throw in a park with their, their sweet parking brake. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they hop out to mm-hmm. kind of start the fight. But if you rocket them, you can take that. Or you can steal one mm-hmm. and take it on to where you kind of go over that dune and you see that there's a number more mm-hmm. vehicles you can kind of pull from, from ghosts, yeah. choppers, a bunch of other stuff for you. Yeah, and within this ensuing fight, you eventually have to make your way to this this LZ that's at the top of this kind of forerunner structure. And that's where you meet up with Johnson. And he's like, all right, we need to go take out all the anti-air wraiths. That way, the forward on Tadong can come and land. Mm-hmm. So then you make your way towards that way. And see, this is a vehicle mission, and I've liked it all so mm-hmm. far, just so mm-hmm. you know. All right, so for some hashtag detail walkthrough for the arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're looking for the famine skull. Biggest thing you need is you need a de- deployable cover. Um, and you can get that by killing the brutes at the beginning and getting that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after Sergeant Johnson tells you on the other side of the wall, follow Pelican around a rib structure and uh, once you get there, you see some, like, pillar thingies. It's you pretty know, apt. Yeah, they hold stuff up. You know how it is. You have to grenade jump, but also deployable shield jump on a rock. You, you, you'll see it. You'll see it. It's there. Yeah, you'll figure it out. 
You eventually make your way out to that. Through Fighting Through Covenant, you make your way out to that landing zone where you see uh, more anti-air wraiths. There's actually a lot of, there's, there's choppers, there's, there's uh, a number of, of original wraiths. You've got <laughs> uh, a couple grunts mm-hmm. uh, on some mounted plasma turrets. Yeah. And there's, there's got to be strategy going into this part for sure. Yeah, it, it's definitely tough. And like uh, the higher difficulties you play, like you kind of have to think that out because, you know, you've got the choppers, you've got the ghosts, you've got, you know, even just like brute shot all around. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot to deal with with that. But the payoff is one of my favorite and coolest scenes in there is mm-hmm. when you take that out, you know, Johnson kind of lands this pelican right there and gives you the go-ahead for the Ford Unto Dawn to land mm-hmm. to kind of come in. And it just, it seems smaller at first, but the closer it gets, the bigger and bigger it gets, and it starts blowing away all the debris and the destroyed vehicles. Yeah, it's so cool. It's cool, and it drops off some scorpions for you. Yeah, so it's like, hey, Chief, we got some stuff the loading bay for you. Yeah, and you get, I think it's three? Three, three or four, yeah, mm-hmm. total, and you drive one, or for a scorpion mission, and this is where you kind of have 343 three Guilty Spark guiding you. And you're just using it to take out literally everything. This is the first time I think you can take out a phantom, which yep. is actually new. I forgot to add. That's new, taking out phantoms. Yeah. We can now do that. So you you make your way through hunters and everything else, and you go back to that LZ where you met with Johnson. Mm-hmm. And then once you take out everyone, you go inside that structure, that building. Yep. And uh, through there, you have to activate this light bridge. That allows all the scorpions to be mm-hmm. able to make it across that way. Yeah. And then whenever you finally do go through, it's kind of this shit your pants moment because then you see a scarab walk from right over, over you. Yeah. But then at that point, you get on the scorpions. You dr- you go down to like kind of the, the giant forerunner garage door, I guess, that lets them all out. And this is a giant vehicle battle area. You're kind of going down these hills and you're fighting these wraiths off in the distance. And as this happens, that scarab returns. Yeah. And of course, I love Johnson's like, oh, get behind Chief. He'll know what to do. It's like, no, fucker, help me. Yeah, because yeah, because when you originally start this and like escape, there's that goshog that mm-hmm. the Marine drives over to you and you can make your way down. There's there's a couple ways that are fun. You, you can drive the warthog right onto the scarab because mm-hmm. there's kind of like a rampy building. You all know what I'm talking about. It's, it's like a building has an interior, but then there's a ramp that goes up. Yeah, and so, yeah, you take your goshog right over on top of the scarab or do the safe route and use a scorpion to kind of shoot the butt off or shoot the legs down, shoot that scarab butt, knock it off, shoot the plating that it has on there, and then take it out. Yeah, and it's always risky doing it with the scorpion, too, because when it lowers and you ditch that scorpion, sometimes you'll come back and it's done. Or what, I've, what happens sometimes if you're directly under it, the uh, the scarab will lower itself onto the scorpion, just destroy yeah. it, yep. or just low enough you get stuck and you can't then get it get it, like get it back after it's been damaged. But yeah, so after you destroy that scarab, you make your way up kind of this ramp back into a for a different foreign structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a couple covenant that you got to take out, and you have the option you can force that tank on up those stairs as far as humanly possible. Yeah. Or like I did today, you can just walk it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so as as guilty spark tries to open this door with his blue beam, you have a, a Marine coming. He's like, oh, I can I can take a peek at that if you want. I'll take a look. And he zaps the shit out yeah, of you. Yeah, Spark just looks at him and zaps him. He's like, what the hell? And so Spark opens it and gets you through, and you make your way through. And this is where we come across a room as we're making it through. Mm-hmm. And there will be plenty of rooms around here. Yeah, lots of rooms. As we may say, with our hashtag detailed walkthrough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you want to do, there's rooms. Above that, you'll need a grav lift to shoot you into that room. And once you're there, cowbell skull. Cowbell skull, just so you guys know. Just so you guys know. Um, but yeah, it's it's once you're through that area, you'll go into the room with a bunch of sleeping grunts and a, a very saucy scene, mm-hmm. I might say, in the back right corner of the room. You'll find the legendary brute himself, 
pissing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of lore behind this brute. I think we're going to do a whole episode dedicated yeah, it, to who this brute is. It's really a whole episode. I mean, because honestly, who doesn't pee? Because <laughs> that's the big thing, and and that's what we want to find out. So yeah, so always kind of like I I never expected that as a kid playing this. You're like, whoa, like why is this brute pissing? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a funny weird moment of it because mm-hmm. yeah, you have a bunch of like I don't know eight to ten sleeping grunts around, mm-hmm. and then this dude in the corner is peeing, and it's like one of those times where. You can just kind of go up and wallop him in the back. Yep. Which is rude as fuck, by the way. It's Don't fine. do that. Slop, <laughs> slop him right out of his own piss pile. <laughs> but yeah, so then you make your way throughout these corridors within this Forerunner structure, and you find yourself out in this kind of open, I don't want to say bay, but this kind of open area where these controls are. Mm-hmm. And uh, you activate it, and a, and a map comes up, and you find out that you know now you it's official. You find out what you're on is the arc spark confirms it like oh yep this is the arc you find out you're i don't know how hey you're far enough away from the the milky it's like a couple light years away from the milky way i think it was i think it was like two million to the 18th power or something like light years away yeah let's let's i'll take your word for it i don't remember off the top of my head but then the covenant come and they attack so Mm -hmm. you have to make your way back in the structure and make your way towards this lz and this is really cool because you want to talk about that brute pack mentality you make your way out into this kind of the same opening area that you were, and there's a chieftain just kind of like resting on one knee waiting for you, and there's a group of uh, brutes surrounding him. So basically, it's a one-on-one battle. It's like, all right, like let's see who's who's the best here. You can you take him out, and then you take out the rest of the brutes too. Again, I, I thought that part was so cool. But yeah, so then once you defeat all the brutes in the surrounding area. Then Johnson's Pelican comes down, but then you see um, all these Sentinels come up, and everyone starts freaking out, but 343 Guilty Spark is like, nope, nope, don't worry about them, they're fine. But yeah, so once you realize that those Sentinels are safe, Chief gets on the Pelican, and the mission ends. Now, there is some actual lore to some of this mission. Mm -hmm. The final Chieftain you fight in this mission is named Sethagus, and his final mission before becoming the Chieftain of the Brutes was going to kill the Master Chief. And, and Good it make, luck. Well, it makes sense, too, because, you know, a, as you come down, like you said, like you make your way down this area, and it's like a big open landing pad, mm-hmm. and you have this brute there, like you say, he's kneeling, he's got the hammer, mm-hmm. and you have Truth kind of talking as well. It's like, mm-hmm. you have to fight him by yourself. Like, you have yep. to do this. Which you can screw that up if you want and just start attacking everyone else. Or if you want... You just turn around and punch him in the back before he can kind of get up, and then you get his invincibility in his hammer, and then you're like, "Let's go, bitch!" Yeah, and you swail it. And then a lot of those, a lot of those brutes have jetpacks, and there's a couple jackals. But yeah, other mm-hmm. than that, you end it and you head out. And unfortunately, Sethagus unfortunately failed. Got punked by Master Chief. He got punked. So now let's move on to the Covenant. Breach the barrier. Stop truth. So this is the mission where you hear, you know, that dun 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 dun, dun like awesome. And you're you and these uh, elites in the UNSC. It's just this cool kind of formation they're it's coming cool squadron, in. Yeah, yeah. And so you learn that there's these three barrier generators. And if you break down, you know, disable these generators, you can get behind this this giant shield and get to Truth because he's held up in this Forerunner tower and he's trying to activate the ring. So as you're you're in a pelican and as you're making your way onto towards the beach. The pelican behind you is shot down by an anti-air wraith, mm-hmm. and it crashes into the one with Chief, 
and it's kind of a bumpy landing, not a crash landing, but a bumpy landing. Yeah. This is the first time you get that Spartan laser. Yeah, and, and so the the big thing is like they take the, each each pelican was carrying a warthog, mm-hmm. so they'd actually knock your warthog off. You land, yeah, Spartan laser. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first time you get to use that and like figure out what it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's pretty cool. You take out, you know, the you can take out the anti air wraith with it, or you, or there's also uh, turrets there. Yeah, there's a couple turrets. Turrets there firing at you, so you can take all of that out if you're noob like me and you don't know how to take over that anti air wraith a pelican will come down once you've defeated all the covenant in the area and they'll drop off a warthog for you Mm -hmm. and so then you have to then make your way up this kind of hill towards this kind of beach mini pond area yeah yeah i would say after fighting through a bunch of covenant it has a waterfall that's waterfall number i think three so if you're waterfall tracking almost there you go almost every mission has some kind of water in it because of like the advancements they had made with water textures in Halo 3. So they wanted to put it everywhere. Yeah, you, you want to show it off. You want to see, like, the splash that mm-hmm. happens when you drive through it. You want to see reflections. Mm-hmm. You want to see all those things. So, yeah, it makes sense. And so you make your way down into kind of a valley, Ravine? Ravine, probably ravine area, valley area. And this is where you now uh, stumble into some prowlers again, mm-hmm. a wraith and turrets and a couple other enemies all around. Yeah, I, I like this mission a lot, but it's definitely, this is a complicated part. But once you get, you get through all of that, you make your way into the Forerunner structure, fight through more Covenant, and you make your way up into this elevator to take out the first shield barrier. Mm-hmm. And each of these is very similar. So this mm-hmm. is each of these three shield generators. So it's supposed to be you, Arbiter, and Johnson each taking all one three, out. Yeah, all, all into these different teams, which uh, Johnson and a team, <laughs> we already know what's going to happen. Yeah. One thing I will tell you, uh, that's if, if you are struggling... If you're a Jesse, if you're a Jesse and you make your way up to the Chieftain, just keep your Spartan laser. And just take that bitch out. And just take a one shot on him. Uh, but yeah, so, so so yeah, you make your way into the structure and you, there's two options. You can kind of grenade jump and move barriers around to kind of skip a chunk of the level. Mm-hmm. Or you have to kind of wheel your way around onto this elevator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but once you get up to the top, there's a Chieftain and a pack of mm-hmm. brutes. When you take them all out... Then you you shut down the barrier at these controls, and then instantly Arbiter, because of course it's like Arbiter, his gets done immediately after yours. Second place, of course. But <laughs> but yeah, so then all of a sudden you learn like, uh oh, Johnson's been captured. Yeah, because Johnson's like, oh wait, you know we're under fire, we need this, and da da da. Yeah, so maybe not captured yet, but they're mm-hmm. under fire. So then you have to make your way to that third tower. You have to go. Out to the very front, kind of that beach area where the mission started. Yeah, where you got your warthog. Yeah, and then you get hornets, though, for the first Mm -hmm. time. And this is the first time we truly get, like, an actual aerial battle from Halo. And throughout all of this, you're fighting a lot of banshees, and then even on the ground, there's some anti-air wraiths that Mm -hmm. you have to battle as well. After fighting through a bunch of phantoms, banshees, and anti-air wraiths, you make your way to kind of this tower structure area where Johnson was originally supposed to be before he got punked. So... You take out all the Covenant there, but there is this kind of tower up the front. The Thunderstorm skull is up there. So that one's actually pretty straightforward. (laughs) I mean, honestly, you don't got to go anywhere else with our hashtag detailed walkthroughs. Yeah. But yeah, so then we, you make your way into the structure with the uh, some elites backing you up, and this is this is exactly like the other structure for the most part. They they do change it up with the enemies that are coming at you. Uh, you fight some hunters in there yeah. along with uh, some buggers. Yes, yeah, so this one, this one's a bit tougher because in the previous one you had just uh, high ranking brutes, some grunts, some jackals. This one you have two hunters greeting you mm-hmm. uh, with some brute support, as well as if you make your way to the right. 
outflood a bunch of drones. Mm-hmm. And then as you make your way up and around fighting a bunch of brutes and get onto the elevator, drones then descend down on mm-hmm. top of you. And you have to deal with that or just like push the elevator button and just mm-hmm. pray that they go below you. Yeah. So then what happens, you know, you get your way up to the elevator. It's that yellow chieftain. Get through them, deactivate the barrier, and then as Halfjaw makes a ship over that tower, like, all right, let's end this, High Charity appears. Mm -hmm. Like, that city, that Covenant city from Halo 2 just appears, and it's got that, what, uh, that that flood stench you were calling it earlier? Yeah, it's got that stanky stench. Yeah, that stanky stench. Then it shoots off uh, some flood turds. Yeah, some flood pods, and and it appears in the room that you're at. Yeah, it actually actually pierces uh, the glass. And to go back just a little bit, I believe when we're fighting that chieftain, this is the first time that we see Invisibrutes. Yeah, there are some Invisible Brutes in there, which you're like, uh, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. But then you have to make your way down outside, you know, fight through all these flood. You have to make your way to that, the, where the beach is, where that tower is. Mm-hmm. And the UNSC will drop off a scorpion for you. Yep. Drops a scorpion. You get a warthog and a mongoose. You, and, get, you get the whole family. Mm-hmm. And you have this kind of reminiscent thing that you're going into kind of this snowy terrain, like you're on assault on the control room. Exactly. And, it, and it's the same type of deal where you're fighting the flood, you're fighting the covenant, and you're kind of me- making your way through. Very reminiscent to the last two stories of kind of having that same Mm -hmm. story arc of either dealing with the halos, kind of figuring out what the halos are, and working in forerunner structures. Mm -hmm. So as you get to this kind of open area, you're on top of this giant ravine or, you know, cliff. Yeah, you're on a ridge kind of overlooking an empty area, Mm -hmm. and then ahead of you is a giant kind of towery Mm -hmm. forerunner structure. Yeah, and so then two scarabs drop down, and you have multiple ways. You can stick in your scorpion, you can get in the hornets. This is definitely like a trickier part, because inevitably if you ditch your vehicle going to kill the first scarab it's probably going to get destroyed so then you have to figure out how to get a different vehicle to go to the next scarab but once you take those two out just shoot the legs out and mm -hmm. then shoot the butt you're supposed to make your way into the tower Mm -hmm. but if you there's and i can't exactly describe the path other than with hashtag detailed walkthrough you make your way up this kind of uh, railing to the side of it on the left side and you know with everything calmed down if you get make your way to the very very top that you can the Siege of Magical will play. Yeah, turn your volume up a little bit. And you turn around and kind of just see this open, vast area as a Siege of Magical will play. And it'll play as many times as you run up there. Mm-hmm. Discord user actually told us about this, so shout out to them. Well, I knew it, but you didn't. That's I cool. did. Well, I didn't know about that, but either way, I thought that was really cool. So little things like that, Siege of Magical is like a minute, minute and a half track just piano but it really just kind of makes like just for a second you calm down within that environment and you see everything that's going on so then you make your way into the tower yeah so 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 you land down at kind of the the entrance to it that you see it's 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 a kind of a vast opening but Uh as as guilty spark and as the arbiter land with you it forms a light bridge Mm -hmm. and you make your way across the light bridge into the structure yeah and and right before you do Cortana appears and she says, it asked and I answered. For a moment of safety, I loosed damnation on the stars. So then at that point, you see the Prophet of Truth with his guards and Johnson as a prisoner. Yeah, so he's shifted to a cutscene. Yeah, we're in a cutscene now. And, you know, Johnson's trying to convince this brute to kill him, basically, because... Prophet of Truth knows he needs a quote-unquote reclaimer to activate the arc. Yeah, and and I love it too because Johnson's 
just trying to be cocky and really rile this bird up. He's like, mm-hmm. is that all you got? Like, yeah. that's all you can really do to me? Come mm-hmm. on, give me your best. Yeah, but then a uh, pelican drops in and kills a few brutes, and you see Miranda come out, and she has a shotgun, and she's got that pistol. And whoa, 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 drops in. This pelican flies through the window, okay, okay. shatters it, and just drags across the ground and takes some of these brutes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, and then you see Miranda come out, and, you know, she's got a shotgun. And she's she starts fighting off the brutes, but then, you know, the Prophet Truth says, you can't take them all out. So that's when Johnson says, okay, kill me, then yourself, because if we're dead, we're useless. Exactly. So so she she pulls her pistol out, because, first of all, she had one of those cool, she's had somewhat cool badass scenes in this, the cool badass scene where she's mm-hmm. got the shotgun pointing one way, handgun pointing the other way, uh-huh. like she's going to do some sweet Matrix spin and shoot. Yeah. And so as she's like pointing at Johnson, and Johnson's like, it's okay, do it, she takes some spikes to the back. Mm-hmm. And she falls over, and we see the prophet of truth himself shot her. With a spiker, yeah. Yeah, and so clearly at this point, Johnson's grieving, and he's broken, so he doesn't stop whenever the truth just takes his hand and puts it on the button yeah, on the yeah to basically activate the ring. So at this point, Arbiter and Master Chief have to now make their way to truth. As they're about to, two flood forms appear, and we're like, listen, enemy of my enemy, friend, kind of thing. So you team up with the flood to stop truth from activating the ring. And there's this very long hallway that and a few like corridors that you have to go through to get to truth. Yeah, it's basically very reminiscent of the bridge in CE where you're mm-hmm. kind of there's like a, there's like a center point that kind of like blocks the way a little bit and like little alcoves of it. Yeah. yeah, you take the bridge, then you get to like certain like control rooms, little rooms between yeah. it and make your way all the way across. Now, there's a cert there's 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 these giant light rings that are in the center. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not going to say the combination cuz you got to figure that out on your own, but if you go through these rings a certain way, you're going to get the I would have been your daddy skull. It's it's like you have to go through like the eighth ring, the second ring, and fourth ring. Not oh, exact uh, order. Don't tell them. It's hashtag teaching walkthrough. <laughs> so you understand what we're saying. And obviously, we want you to experience it just like everybody else. We don't want to reveal too much of it. Exactly. But yeah, jump through some rings, get to that, and then up here on the light bridge is I would have been your daddy skull, which is one mm-hmm. of my favorites. And then you you finally make your way and you see... That truth is just kind of like laying there crawling because the flood have have taken everyone out. Mm-hmm. We also see Johnson carrying Miranda, or no, John ground with yeah, her. Yeah, Johnson's on the ground, closes her eyes, and says, "You know, stop this." So the arbiter makes his way to truth, and you can see that truth is starting to become the flood. But before that can happen, you know, he says, "I am truth, voice of the covenant," and that's when the arbiter says. So you must be silenced and stabs him in the back. And you hear the the violin screeching in the background. It's like it's just like it's like gurgling death, too, which is uh, great. It's such a theatrical moment. Like mm-hmm. it is like, oh, thank God it's it's finished. It is. And, and it's great, too, because at the same time you have Chief deactivating it, mm-hmm. which is always such a mystery to me, too. Like, it's just like, I guess I just put my hand here again. All right. Now it's done. Yeah. Cool. So after he deactivates it and after, you know, we let uh, the Prophet of Truth kind of slip onto the ground, you know, then we have Gravemind kind of bring his tentacles out. Yeah, cool. Because then Johnson carries Miranda to the Pelican and mm-hmm. as, as you know, they're going to start to fly to, out. Yeah, yeah the, the, the Gravemind's tentacles come out. So then you grab onto the Arbiter or you grab onto the Pelican, Chief does, and then the Arbiter grabs onto Chief. But then Gravemind's tentacles knock you two off and you have to make your way now back through that kind of that long hall or like that same, long bridge same yeah, and fight through the fight through the flood now. And they're infecting all of the Covenant. 
that that was just previously killed. killed. Yep. Yeah, and and as you make your way through, like you you start to see, you know, basically the carnage that you had. Mm-hmm. And luckily, if you have the arbiter with you, if you're playing single, he's got a sword. At mm-hmm. this point, you probably have the hammer from taking it, it, it from there. And so as you make your way through the bridge and fight stuff, and as you're exiting, you have Cortana jump back in again and says, "I'm a thief, but I keep what I steal." So mm-hmm. you you keep going through. And then you see, basically, at the, at the end of the corridor, it's very similar to in 2, when you're going through the Forerunner structure, you kind of, as the Arbiter, like, open up these air vents that kind of mm-hmm. open up from there. It's like that. And you yeah. jump down this hole, and it cuts down. Um, so the cutscene starts. So cutscene starts. Yeah, and, and Chief actually sees Cortana walking towards something, and so he goes towards this kind of uh, control panel. And he hits it, and all of a sudden we see this this kind of you know window open, and we see a ring emerge from the center of the arc. And I like that Chief just all he says is how long have you known? And Guilty Spark shows up, and he's like, I haven't really known, but I was hoping that this would happen. Yeah. So Chief says, we're gonna light that ring. We're gonna destroy the flood, and you know, three four three is like sweet, badass. That's what I need. Back in action, baby. So yeah, and then that's the end of the mission. Now, this is the longest mission in the trilogy due to the fact that it's the Covenant's final stand. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel as long as it is because there's a lot of changes happening all the time in scenery and how you're fighting, what you're fighting. And I think really if if they wanted to, they could have broken this into two, if not three separate missions Mm -hmm. that could have been drawn out a little bit more. But it's really cool because you get to see so many different aspects of the world itself. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, vehicle combat, you've got various different weapons, you've got the flood, Mm -hmm. and you've got what I don't think anyone would have expected for the flood to team up. Mm -hmm. And that's what brings it back to the intelligence of, you know, they're evolving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, now we have a one of the greatest missions ever created from the Halo franchise, Cortana. Cleanse High Charity, save Cortana. That was sarcasm, by the way. No I, one I, likes this mission. I was double-checking with you because <laughs> you hate vehicle missions and you must love flood missions. <laughs> yeah, so we see that Chief takes a Banshee into High Charity and he lands in there and begins a search for Cortana. Now, I know that we kind of have this wash, rinse, repeat, or you kind of get lost within some campaign missions, this is one of them. This one, you get lost, you get confused, and it's really kind of almost difficult to give you an accurate walkthrough of it. I, I really enjoy this mission, though. Not so much for... I'm not a big fan of the Flood. I think I think Halo mm-hmm. 3 did the Flood the best. Because it made them easier? One in that, but I do like the different forms they get. I like that mm-hmm. it's not just fat blobs all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I, I really enjoy it because it does make it very hectic. Mm-hmm. And it makes it like you kind of are lost in there. And w- they've really done well with the flood for this one. W- l- whether they made it easier or not, they at least made it feel overwhelming every time you run into Realistic. Them. Realistic. Because over- you're, you're going down dead ends and these corridors. Yeah. And it's just however the flood formed in there, yeah. whether it's intelligent to form that way or not, it's still really cool. And you see some more buttholes. Yeah, make your way through a lot of buttholes. But yeah, as you make your way to the heart of the city, you're searching for Cortana, and uh, the grave mind begins to taunt taunt you and speak with you. And then as you're even, like, and also on top of this, you see Cortana, like, crying and breaking down. Mm-hmm. So you're really kind of, like, worried at this point. You're like, can I save her? Is the grave mind going to get to her? And I think what I really, really enjoy with that, too, mm-hmm. is that this kind of happens with anyone who's 
trying to be more than they are, mm-hmm. they may get angrier or louder. Mm-hmm. Like the more that you know about it, the closer that you're getting to like defeating them. Yeah, and you see that. You see like Gravemind, like he like keeps throwing your FOV way out, but then like it's shakier and shakier and even mm-hmm. angrier, like just more like intense in the voice, which is cool. Yeah, he's starting to get pissed because he's like, ah, wrong way. You know, you play yeah. the hot and cold game. You're like, cold, cold. I swear, bro, you're cold. Yeah, go that way. <laughs> so, yeah, you you make your way through more and more corridors. Definitely, like, the scenery is pretty beautiful, seeing, like, what's happened to high charity. Yeah, it's, it's really grotesquely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have, like, these kind of sacks on the wall that if you hit them, they explode and infector forms come out. Mm-hmm. But overall, like, there's not a lot, there's not that many unique places within here. Well, I guess what, what I really like is some of the hidden weapon alcoves. Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorites is, so there's eventually like a service tunnel, I Mm -hmm. guess you would say, that has like an opening you go through. Mm -hmm. But if you go through one that's not the one you're supposed to do, there's a flamethrower in there. Oh, duly. As I said, it's like I've kind of learned that general path that just gets you to Cortana quickly. Mm -hmm. So that's one I've always taken. But I know like there is one unique area. It's like kind of this open area. It's like this reactor room where like there's these bridges. But once you pass through there, you find yourself in these hallways and you make your way down through those hallways. Mm -hmm. And this is where we're getting like more and more weird, crazy messages from Cortana. She's saying... She's saying that she is a monument to all your sins. She's saying her her, her uh, like service number. But finally, you make your way into this room, and you kind of see this like this holographic dome on a table, and you go there, and now you have finally truly been reunited with Cortana. Yeah, because you basically shatter that matrix that's over mm-hmm. her. And this is kind of a really heartwarming scene, is where Cortana's laying there on the table, and she's saying she's broken, but you found me, and something that really. It's very subtle, but humanizes Chief is he he gets down to her level. Mm-hmm. He he gets down and puts his hands and head on the table to really kind of come down to her level and make her feel you know like she's not crushed. Like it's subtle, but it it stands out to me. And he and he and he brings back like her own words. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, like, when I make a promise, yeah, when you make a promise, I follow through with it. Like yeah. I, I don't break a promise, basically. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really like with this that may even just be. A little homage to kind of uh, the flood, the mm-hmm. book. We see in that that Keys keeps repeating his service number mm-hmm. and everything to try and stay out of being a, a grave mine. Yeah, and, and so, then Cortana doing that same thing mm-hmm. is kind of like trying to stay away. And like this is the last resort. I mm-hmm. have those are the things I have to remember. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah. So then. Chief confirms with her that she still has the index from the first Halo in Combat Evolved, mm-hmm. and they make their way out. And so to destroy the city and all the flood on there, she tells him, override these reactors and and destroy the city. So kind of, you know, that's like the cliche thing to do in Halo, override the react the engine reactors. Yeah, just, just override uh, reactors. I, just shoot them or blow them up, and that overrides it. Yeah, and so then you do that, and you get the hell out of there. And as you do, again, it's you're, you're going back through the level you just came yeah. through. So you're seeing everything again. You see uh, Cortana says, there's a friendly on my my nav. Like She's like, who the hell is crazy enough to come down here? And I love you see Arbiter with a freaking flamethrower just, just going to town. Torching up on top of this like fleshy hill. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then you guys make your way into a pelican. And as you try to escape, the, the grave mind kind of tries to grab at you one last time, but you make your way out. And that's the end of Cortana. Oh, and then one thing with Cortana, though, I want to make sure... Obviously, we get these in because mm-hmm. this is really why the people tune into us is our hashtag detailed walkthrough. So if you're looking for the tilt skull, mm-hmm. which is in Cortana, so you need to go to the circular room where Cortana says it was the coin's fault 
I wanted also to find a ter- terminal there. Yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler for it. I wanted to make you strong, keep you safe. So what you'll do is you'll jump around a bunch of different walls, and then you'll see some flood material. Mm-hmm. And then underneath this platform, near the terminal, you do that, and then you walk up the extruded flood tentacle on there, and you get the skull. Yeah. So so some trivia about this this mission is this mission was gutted and completely rebuilt in about three weeks, only a few months before the game would launch. And I know I have my negative opinions about this, but this mission would go down as one of the worst missions in the franchise. And a lot of Bungie developers even agreed with that. They said, like, this mission was rushed. We just had to get through it. This this level was designed to mirror aspects of high charity in Halo 2. But during its redesign, part of the level was used in Floodgate. So it kind of all worked out. And I can understand why people don't like this level. I mean, it, it's definitely understandable because, like we said, it is confusing. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's, it's some jumping puzzles, like very minute jumping puzzles. But if you are mm-hmm. going for like the tilt skull, it's obviously a couple, with, which is fine. For the skulls, I'm fine with the jumping puzzles for those. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple where it's like if you miss a jump, you got to go around again and like back up and jump yeah. across. And it's just overall gameplay, you're like, eh. Eh. Yeah. It's 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 wash rinse repeat is an mm-hmm. understatement. But I do love if you think of it the way of like how hectic and chaotic and like I don't know, like pressured you feel. Mm-hmm. You're like, I have to get through this. Like, oh no, there's like pure forms here and then you've got some like brute forms coming up and it's yeah. like it's it is pretty neat. I do I do it is a bad it's okay. It, the feeling is good, the layout of the mission sucked. I agree. But what can you do? Now let's move on to the final mission, Halo. Light the ring, destroy the flood. So a pelican with Chief, Cortana, and the Arbiter passes the shadow of intent, and Halfjaw insists that Arbiter get it, you know, gets the fuck out with him. But he says, you know, this is a fight we have to see through. Mm-hmm. So Cortana confirms with Johnson that he will be landing the forward onto Dawn around the edge of the the, the ring, because they're going on to the new ring. Yeah. We're gonna land the forward onto Dawn there, that way we have a way to get out of there. So, you land the pelican and you begin your final effort to activate the ring. Now, you can find the mythic skull on the cave to the right. Hashtag detailed walkthrough. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and honestly, like that one's, it's pretty tough to get to because what you don't want to do is you don't want to go left. Don't, no. Uh, common misconception, friends. Do not do that. Go to the right. Yeah. Not straight, but to the right. Now, you, you head to the control room where you can activate this ring, and it's very reminiscent of Assault on the Control Room in Halo Combat Evolved. You see that giant tower that you have to make your way up to. But as you go, all these flood pods start coming in, and it's like randomly generated weapons with these floods. So some of them have a rocket launcher, some of them have a, a gravity hammer. And it, it randomly generated to a point. It depends on your difficulty, mm. because otherwise it's the same weapons for each. Yeah, but it's it's like unexpected that they're just holding whatever. They're like, cool, here's a gravity hammer. Here's a shotgun. Like, doesn't matter. You're kind of screwed there regardless. Like, looking at it at the perspective of, like, a regular person, I guess. But you, you fight through all these flood, and you start making your way up the tower. Yeah, and, and the tower is is very reminiscent. And it's the same exact tower that you're kind of going through in CE mm-hmm. and 2, mm-hmm. uh, that you kind of make your way. Actually, very reminiscent of CE when you make your way, and you have to kind of, like, snake your way around mm-hmm. so you have to go from like the right side kind of under a walkway to the left and up uh-huh. and up and up and you make it to the top and that's where you come to a locked door where you need to get into yeah and you meet up with johnson there too 
Yep, and Johnson is uh, not with you yet. Oh, no, 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 I lied. Yeah, he's actually up top with Spartan Laser. Yep. And so he is actually firing down upon the flood, and it's kind of a wave defense. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure that you kill all the flood around there. And once that's done, Spark will come in and open the door, because Mm -hmm. the big thing is, like, we can't have... Flood in there. We can't yep. have flood into you know our next area. Mm-hmm. One cool thing you can do though, if you want, if you're able to jump on the doorway and then jump on a pillar next to it, you can actually jump over the snowbank where Johnson is and just hide behind him. There you go. And wait for him to do what he does. There you go. But yeah, so once you wipe out all the flood there, you make your way. The door opens. You make your way into the control room, mm-hmm. and you see you know Johnson's talking to three four three guilty spark. You know, saying like, "How's everything looking?" He says, "Great." And so. Johnson says, okay, let's light the ring. And it's like, well, you can't light it just yet. Like, it's going to be ready in a couple yeah, days. Yeah, it's, it's not done. Yeah, it's like a premature firing is going to destroy the ring. And Johnson's like, Who's, who cares? So then we see Spark attack Johnson. He says, you know, I have another construct, you know, I have another ring. I can't let you destroy it. So then he attacks the Arbiter and Master Chief and fires at Johnson again. And this is where he says these kind of, definitely first time I ever heard it, it gave me chills. You know, he says... You are, you know, you are the the descendants of my makers. You know, you are forerunner, but this ring is mine. And his his eye turns red. Yeah. And now you have to battle him. And basically, it's kind of a really cheesy boss battle. You just kind of run towards him, and he pushes you back. Until, you, can, you can actually just stand there. Yeah. It's like because basically he has a, he has like a force field around him, mm-hmm. so you can't get close. The only thing, like, and then he fires some laser at you. Just don't get hit. Yeah. And then whenever he does his like big powerful push, just don't mm-hmm. be near an edge. Yeah. And then Johnson shoots him with a Spartan laser. Mm-hmm. And he and, flies. And you take it from Johnson and you hit him like two or three times and he dies. Yeah. So then at that point, Johnson's dying. Earlier he took Cortana from Chief. You know, it's like, I'm not going to let her go too. He already lost Miranda. But then he gives Cortana back to Chief and it says, never let her go. Mm-hmm. And then his final request is send me out with a bang. Yeah. So then you activate the ring and you get the hell out of there. And the in the control room collapses around you and that's how we send off Johnson. Mm-hmm. And fun fact with Johnson, before he kind of like dies when you're playing, mm-hmm. you can swap weapons with him first. And mm-hmm. then when he dies, just like flings it out of his hand and just throws it. Uh-huh. It's pretty great. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so, you, so you make your way out uh, of there and... You just have, I believe you just have an assault rifle Yeah. when you exit, and you make your way around, and you eventually pick up a plasma rifle, whether you like it or not, and you kill a couple of brutes out there, and make your way towards where, or brute forms. Yeah, yeah, brute combat forms. Brute combat forms. And you make your way out to where you came in. Mm -hmm. Now, here's two things. One, you now have, since Guilty Spark kind of set all the Sentinels against you, it's the same thing with CE, you're fighting Mm -hmm. Flood and Sentinels. Yeah. But... If you set up those auto turrets that were sitting there, they will also attack you. Oh, never thought about that. Yeah, so so you have to make sure that either when you use them, you destroy them, or you just don't use them at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you make your way up the snowbank, where I kind of said you could get the Johnson before, and you had the Spartan mm-hmm. laser. You make your way around there because you realize that, you know, as Johnson came here with the Ford Unto Dawn, mm-hmm. that it's uh, still here. And you yeah. shove away off the off the ring. And, and Johnson left his warthog, warthog. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then you get in the warthog, and you get in one of the most legendary runs 
that we will probably ever see in the franchise, and that's the the Halo Three trench run. And all of a sudden, you start hearing the the music, and it's like I think everyone has a fond memory of this because it's just a badass scene of you're driving through these areas that are unfinished yet, and the ring is collapsing around you. And I think Dan Miller, when we talked to him, he said he had a huge hand in this, and he had a lot of fun doing this one. Yeah, and he was saying that you know he he kind of took this on and he had people over his desk while he's doing this. And every time people would fail and it would get it would be too hard, he'd have to actually go in and custom code each piece that fell, mm-hmm. each tower that went. And it, it, really interesting to see like really what went into this trench run to try and live up to that Halo CE first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you you keep you go through. Um, I know that you can find the grunt off on a ledge there the the hidden grunt that was like in halo ce Mm -hmm. and he uh he makes fun of you for being kidnapped as a child soldier but then says hey if you save me i'll polish your helmet and he says i have the fist of rucked which by the way i think that's one of the only times we actually hear that in the game said so i got like really excited i was like "Ooh, fuck yeah yeah it's pretty sweet Mm -hmm. but then you know once you make your way you make your way out. It's kind of, it's a wash, rinse, repeat thing. You just go through these kind of tunnels, these ramps. Finally, after this badass run, you see the Ford onto Dawn in front of you, and you hit a ramp, and you go inside the Ford onto Dawn. And we see an amazing cutscene afterwards, where it's the, the Warthog flips, and you see the Arbiter and Chief fall out of it. And as they both get up to go finish this, they kind of give, them, give each other that nod. And the Arbiter makes his way towards the front, and Chief puts Cortana in kind of this pedestal, but he almost, you know, as the Ford onto Dawn is fleeing its way out towards the portal, Chief almost falls out. He eventually saves himself and crawls his way back up. And we see kind of that really cool shot of him standing up, looking oh, at her yeah. with the arc in the background. And he finally sits down by the, the podium and she says, you know, if we don't make this, and he says, we'll make it. Mm-hmm. And then she says, it's been an honor serving with you, John. And that's, I think, the only time in that Bungie trilogy we hear him called John. Yeah. Which so. which I think is kind of a really heartwarming moment. So then the narrative changes, and we see, you know, Lord Hood giving a, a speech at a memorial several months later. And it flashes back to show only part of the Forward Unto Dawn crashing into Earth's ocean. Yeah, as he's kind of giving a speech about, mm-hmm. you know, all we've lost for this war. Mm-hmm. and uh, And it's really cool because when you first initially see it, you're like, what's that chunk of like space yeah. debris and you have these uh marines or you know engineer marines whatever you want to call them go out and they cut a hole uh, in the ship and the arbiter pops out they're mm-hmm. almost kind of surprised to see him yeah but no chief yeah no chief and so it's it's hood giving this this speech honoring the dead mm-hmm. and so you know by the end of it they give the 21 gun salute and uh hood meets up with the arbiter and says listen i can't forgive you for what you did but I can, but I thank you for standing by him till the end. Mm-hmm. And they shake hands, and he says, "It's hard to believe that he's gone." And, yeah. And then the arbiter looks up, and he he gives that kind of famous line, "Were it so easy?" Yeah. And at that point, then he makes his way. The arbiter makes his way into the ship and talks to Halfjaw. Yeah, yeah. So, so he makes his way over to this Covenant dropship. You, uh, you see, come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and gets on there and is talking to Halfjaw, and Halfjaw's, you know, saying. You know, I I really want to see what our home is like now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's he says everything's so different without being under the prophets, mm-hmm. and so they make their way back home, and then you see that this kind of 
this memorial on the it, very It's edge. like a pelican wing. Is I that what think it is? so. Yeah. yeah. And you see all these faces on these pictures, these faces, including Miranda and Johnson. Johnson and you see 117 scratched on the side. Yeah. And then a message appears on the screen from Bungie. You think this is the end of the game. And the message says, quote, Thanks to the player for playing Halo 3, and thanks for being a part of the engine that drives us towards our ultimate goal of world domination. Thanks for giving Bungie a community that has kicked ass throughout the years and will continue to kick ass for many, many more. Love, Bungie. And and then so after this, screen goes to black, and we're done. Yeah, we have some credit. You know, you think, okay, that's cool. We have yeah, some credits. Yeah, think that's it. And after the credits, we see the back of the dawn. Mm-hmm. The Only the, the front made its way into Earth's atmosphere through the portal and Chief and Cortana remain in the back and it's been split in half. Yeah. Cortana, you know, states like, we did it. Holy shit, we did it. We won. Yeah, and, and you know, Chief's kind of skirting about because he, he turns on his, his headlamps mm-hmm. and he's kind of going about the ship and mm-hmm. seeing, and you see basically where that soldering line almost was. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of just like letting stuff vent out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then Chief starts to go across the ship and, you know, He's like, we're lost in space. It could, you know, it could take months or years. Mm-hmm. So Chief decides to find like a cryo chamber, mm-hmm. which Get, is where we see. Yeah, cryo, cryo tube. And he says, you know, Cortana says, you know, she's going to miss him. Mm-hmm. And Chief says, wake me when you need me. And the franchise, or at least this trilogy ends as it starts with mm-hmm. Chief in a cryo tube. And, you know, that's it. So let's talk about, you know, that's the end of the game. Or yeah. at least that's the end of the game from Easy to Heroic. <laughs> so a little bit of a uh, little bit of some trivia on this one. Uh, the map you drive on for the final Warthog run is the same map in the Silent Cartographer in Halo CE, which that's just so lazy, Bungie, reusing <laughs> map design. It's so lazy. Come on, guys. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're only custom designing every different piece in the map. Mm-hmm. You know how it is. Yeah, and that, that grunt at the very end that you find, this was actually an idea from Joe Staten, Paul Bertone, and CJ Cohen. Also, if you go all the way into the, that cave to the right at the very beginning, mm-hmm. you can also find some structures that are very reminiscent of Halo Combat Evolved. The, the structures within Assault on the Control Room. And you'll also find uh, that Jason Jones Easter egg where he was uh, he's in shorts where I think the Eric said he had he was like mountain climbing or something mm-hmm. that day. So yeah, you can find that there. Jason Jones actually he didn't have a huge hand in Halo 3. He really just oversaw a lot of things, but he did help work on the flood attached to the tiles that were flipping and falling. Oh, so, cool. so that's just something Dan kind of let us know, and I think that was really, really cool. Yeah, and so if you made your way through all this, and you're not a Jesse or Alex, and you actually did this on Legendary, mm-hmm. uh, you actually get the Legendary ending. Yep. And the Legendary ending shows the forward unto dawn, so the chief portion of it, mm-hmm. slowly make its way towards a mysterious planet, and it starts to light up at the side of the ship. And then the screen fades to white. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's officially the end of Halo 3. Now some additional trivia I do want to throw in this before we wrap up this episode is that the final Easter egg was found in 2007 in this game. I know th- 2017. 2017, yes, yeah, sorry. 10 years later. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't all in the same year. Yeah. Um I there I, and we talked about some Easter eggs and there are dozens of them. But the final one was found in 2017. During the loading screen, you must press down on both joysticks on December 25th. In the ring, the words Happy Birthday Lauren will appear in the ring. This was a message from developer Adrian Perez, who put this in the loading screen for his wife. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I wish I was a good developer and had my hands in one of the most famous games of all time so I could do something romantic. Exactly. But I can't. So, yeah, that is it. That is 
part one. Part one. A first for us. I know we didn't mm-hmm. talk about this about halfway through the episode or around the end, but you know, we figured we did so much work for this. We didn't want to really leave any stone unturned, and we really wanted to deliver you guys everything we found out from research. Yeah. And so what we're doing with this, this episode airs, you know, at the end of this week for us mm-hmm. on Friday, but next week. Yeah, so instead of waiting for two weeks for part two, we're just going to make, make you wait one week. And then, you know, since we'll have two weeks in between part one, uh, we'll also be releasing our next episode after part two. So you'll have an episode three weeks in a row. It's You guys are spoiled. Let me just yeah, say you that. guys are spoiled right now. But no, this, again, months and months of research going into this three-hour episode just for a part one. Yeah. So I hope you guys really enjoy this. We had a lot of fun recording, researching. It was a blast. Yeah, and, and we do want to give some huge shout-outs for people who've been uh, integral into our research, into what mm-hmm. we've done. You know, we want to thank Dan Miller. Mm-hmm. We want to thank Eric Arreo. And we want to thank a lot of you Discord users and Instagram users who mm-hmm. gave us some some things that you wanted to see, mm-hmm. uh, some things that we may have not known. Yeah. And just in general, you know, you guys being excited to listen and hear us and, mm-hmm. and, and, and have some fun with us. Yeah. And, you know, as always, we're on all social channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are on YouTube as well. Give us a sub there. You can follow us on SoundCloud. And we're about we're on just about every podcast platform you can think of. Yeah. And if for some reason we're not on your one that you uh, enjoy, that you listen mm-hmm. to, let us know. We'll try and get there for you. Yeah. There's been several times we've had people say, well, why aren't you on this platform? And within a few days, we're on that platform. Yeah. So all you have to do is tell us and we're more than happy to be on there because we want to be, you know, we want to have every outlet for you to be able to listen to us on. But yeah, so that's a wrap for this episode. Let us know what you think about it or if there's anything else you want to hear possibly in the second part. Join our Discord because if you really want to hear a certain thing, you can always get a hold of us Mm -hmm. there. Uh, Message us for Instagram on a link at any given time. Everyone is welcome. We also had our Halo 3 buffer game night Saturday. And that was a blast. Yeah, Halo through game night. <laughs> yeah, we had our, it we had was our Halo through game night. It was great. Like we played a lot of the game modes, especially for our next episode. We're going to mm-hmm. touch a lot on multiplayer and a couple other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of want to keep all that not under wraps, but we want to we want to want to spoil a lot of the settings we have coming up for our next episode for mm-hmm. you. But yeah, th- thank you all uh, who come and play with us. Everyone is always welcome, mm-hmm. whether you are a sweaty competitive player or whether you're just picking the game up for the first time. Like mm-hmm. we just have some fun. You you know we answer all your guys' questions like and it's just been a great community to build with so mm-hmm. we're happy to have you. Yep. And with that, I am your host Jesse Reiners and I'm your host Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to finish the fight, a Halo podcast. Halo, it's finished. No, I think we're just getting started. Halo.